we hear a tasty little morsel walking willingly into Wither's lair. Why don't you have a seat and listen to the muck pod before I get started on dinner? No, 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 Wither. None of that. Uh, I know you're a big old wolf and all that, but um, you've got to be nice to the old listeners or they'll turn it off. Mm, spoil spot. Um, yeah, anyway, uh, I'm Vanessa and you're listening to the Muck Pod. Enjoy. Kia ora and welcome to Muck Pod, the Muck Potty community podcast where we chat with the talented folks who help us make cool stuff about what they do, how they do it and what's inspiring them. I'm one of your hosts, Josh Marchant, and who is here with me as always? I'm Simon Crane. I'm an animator here at Makudi Animation. Josh, how are you? I'm pretty good. Uh, I'm a little tired. I've just come back up from a wedding, but I had food poisoning the week before, so nice. I can say with confidence there are worse reasons to feel tired. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And how the are wed- you? wedding was fine? Our the wedding was great. Wellington was great? It was beautiful. We nice. had it indoors, which was the smart way to go because it got cold all of a sudden. Right, yeah. The yeah, weather yeah. finally decided, right, right, May. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, at least it's dried up a bit, so that's nice. Exactly. Um, How are you, Sai? I'm good. I'm good. I'm enjoying today. Today's a nice, bright, sunny day. It's been a while. The best part about having a midweek wedding, going down in the middle of a week, you know, it kind of disrupts your whole week. But coming back up and it's Friday, you feel like it's Monday, you're going to start right, work yeah. the work week and you're like, oh, TGIF, guys. Exactly. Very short week. And uh, who is here with us uh, as our guest this week? Uh, it's me. Hi, how That's are you going? You. I'm Robert Hartley, GM, uh, professional dungeon master, uh, full-time TTRPG player and nerd. Welcome, Rob. So good to have you Thank here. Thank you very much. I'm glad you invited me. I've been um, listening to your podcast for a while now. Oh, you have? Yeah. It's always nice to hear. We yeah. Sometimes we wonder, is this just an echo chamber of just us and our friends <laughs> yeah. talking for our own amusement? Look, guys, Yeah. we, we, we were doing a real show here. That's right. Um, do you prefer Robert or Rob? Or whatever you like. Either or. I, I'm the same way. I'm yeah, a Joshua, I, but... Josh, Joshua? I once, when I was a when I was a kid, I once uh, tallied up all of my nicknames, wrote them on a piece of paper, and got to fifty plus. Wow! Because wow. nice. I had Rob, Robbie, Robster, uh, Robbie Do, Robbie Dazzler, and then all of those again with a B instead. Bob, Bobby, Bobby. Oh, of course. <laughs> and, I, and then and then recently, well, I say recently, about ten years ago, uh, I got I, I started some, one of my friends started calling me Bert because he was like, people always cut the end off your name to make Rob. Oh, that's right. Then I cut the first of your name to make Bert, and he yeah. started calling me Bert. I never put that's it together. Nice, yeah. Bert so comes when from I, Robert. When I was a kid, I also got uh, well, or Albert, or Herbert, yeah. or Hubert, or any of, of the other ones that end in Bert. Um, yeah, I, I also got Robot, Robot, because it sounded like Rob, uh, Robert. Mm-hmm. Um, one one friend called me Yogurt because it sounded <laughs> vaguely like Robert. Yeah, I hear the English. They love. Rob, Robs- yeah, Robster they love became rhymes. Lobster at some point. Uh, <laughs> at one point, what's the? Uh, do you remember <clears throat> like what's the most like um, corrupted version of your name that's been used as a nickname? Like the furthest from Rob uh, that still came from Rob. Um, uh, dopey one. My uncle called me Dopey One because it was Rob became Robbie became Robbie One Robbie One Kenobi. And then Ro- Robbie One became do- Dopey One because he thought I was a bit dopey, <laughs> I think. So, so that was probably the furthest. But uh, some some other friends have called me stuff that aren't related to my name at all. Like I had the nickname Zip when I was at college mm-hmm. because somebody said I walked as if I was kind of had a spring in my step, like I was whistling zippity doodah in my head. <laughs> oh, right. And so she started calling me Zip. 
Um, another friend started calling me Fizz at one point because she was teasing me about tea, being teetotal and not drinking. And she, she was like, oh, all your drinks, Fizzy Vimto. I'd never drunk Fizzy Vimto in her presence at all. But she was right. like, Fizzy Vimto, it's the only... And so she started calling me Fizz. Fizzy Vimto? Yeah. Is that a soft... <laughs> I mean, that's obviously a soft drink. What's it is in a, a Vimto? Yeah, vi- a, oh, gosh. A, vi- a, vi- a Vimto is a soft... It's like a blackberry, blackcurrant uh, drink in the UK. Um, and then they brought out a fizzy version of it. Um, few, well, and a few it was delicious. Around. And it was, it was but delicious. But you wouldn't know because you didn't drink it, exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. My family, uh, the one sort of area that uh, dad does get creative is with nicknames. And uh, mine got pretty far afield pretty quickly. I think he started with the idea that like some countries substitute a J for a Y sound. Oh, yeah. So Yosh. Yosh. And then yeah. uh, Yoshi. most common one was Yark, like Y-A-R-K. Don't what was that about? Search me. <laughs> and then all the variations on that, uh Yark von Ark, Yarkly von Yarklish. <laughs> and then the most crazy one that people think I'm making up was uh Yoshki Barish. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Yoshki Barish, that's me. I would go with that one. <laughs> to be honest. I was kind of wondering at one point when I was setting up an online profile, like, do I use one of these? Mm, yeah. You know? I mean it's it's it stands out. But it's a little far away from the, the name. The you fun know? thing about having so many <clears throat> nicknames is that I, I recognize who's talking to me by the name that somebody's calling me. That's right. <laughs> if yeah. somebody, if some, if like, I don't know, if my mum called me Robert, I'd be like, oh, that's weird. Uh, or if my brother called me anything other than uh, Bob, that'd be weird. And that's, but so yeah, everybody's picked their own and they're like, they use that one. Yeah. Simon, yeah. do you have any nicknames? Yeah, sick. Sick, yeah, right. Or, Sicky or, fondue. Yeah, sicky fondue or sicko fondue. Okay. Um, it started off as. Sicky uh-huh. fondue, and then it became sicko fondue. In Dublin, names usually get. Oh, Hi, Mike. Right. Mike's popping his head out. Hello, Mike. Mike's just Shout ruining the audio. Shout something for the mic, Mike. <clears throat> What's Mike's nickname? Spidey. Spidey. Yeah, that's right. You guys are recording, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah in the middle. This is all going to make it in as well. <laughs> We're keeping. <clears throat> that was actually Spidey. That was the him. Spidey. Yeah. The yeah. Spidey. Have you seen his new toy that he's got? Oh, oh yeah, I love of it. course. It's so good. <laughs> it's, uh, it was very funny watching him uh, attempting to grab a can that was maybe a it's couple a, meters a, in front of him. It's a web shooter with a neo uh, uh, and yes. earth magnet. It's retractable magnet. Yeah. yeah. And just watching him attempting Whip. and attempting and attempting and eventually clanging and getting it and pulling it in, reeling it in with his little fish rod yeah. on his wrist. Gone. Brilliant. What's, what's infinitely more efficient what, what's great about that is like it, uh, there's no person on the world who's been practicing to web sling more than Mike has yep. you know oh, yeah, so, so from, to finally get it and if, if it's still hard to do it must be hard to do right but he's going to keep on top of it the, oh, the, no, look, like the advances I have, will I have, come in leaps and bounds I have full faith in Mike that he will be swinging down the hallway on that thing <laughs> so, before so we the, know the, it. The, uh, the, the location we're in has some of those sort of um, panel tilings in the ceiling and it has obviously metal uh, metal what would you call them grates grates between mm. them uh, and he's been aiming for those specifically so that he can so that he can try and swing from the rafters he, i came in for uh, to play D with him and his group uh, last night um as a gm for hire and uh, and the first thing he did was like web swing <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as i walked in the door he was like yeah. did he get it get it the first time or uh he, not the time not the tile on the roof but he went for the uh, whiteboard much bigger target yeah sensible <laughs> Uh, Mike's actually a really good segue because Mike is our friend in common. It's how yes. you became a friend of the studio. Yeah, it's how I knew about Mukpudi uh, in the first place and uh, why I started listening to the podcast and all the rest of it. Uh, I've been in the studio numerous times now. Countless. Where did you and Mike meet? 
Uh, Cakes and Ladders, a board game cafe here in Auckland. I love um, Cakes and Ladders. Yeah. Is that yeah. the one there on Simon Street, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Um, good friends of mine that own the place. Uh, I, so I, I went to, I went to the UK, met up with a friend in Oxford and we, and she took me to a board game cafe called Meeples and Dragons. And I was like, oh, this is incredible board game cafe where you can just go and rent out board games. Cause up to that point I'd been toying with the idea. I was like, I love board games, but they're so expensive and they take up so much room. I wonder if there's like a board game rental service and how would that work? And you'd have to have a big deposit because there's all the pieces that could go missing. And yeah, I was tying with the idea of starting a business to do board game rentals somehow. Then I heard about board game cafes. This was obviously a long time ago when they weren't really as um, everywhere as they are now. Uh, and so I saw this one and was like, "I'm if they don't have one in Auckland, I'm gonna I'm gonna make one. That's my new business. I'm gonna start a, um, a board game cafe." So I came back to Auckland and Cakes and Ladders had only just opened. I, I heard about it. I was like, oh, there is one. Excellent. I'll go and frequent that. Uh, so I went along every Friday or whatever to play board games and because uh, they used to have a uh, feature Friday game where they just they just have a game on for people who don't really have friends to play board games with. Um, and you just go and play board games with, uh, with, with strangers instead. And that's how I met Mike. Uh, he was doing his Imperial Assault Star Wars game. He was running one of those uh, on the premises and I played with him and we hit it off really well. And we've been friends since. Fantastic. Yeah, it was a good five well, years ago. Somewhere. Right. Well, the yeah. feature Friday worked as planned. Yeah. You met someone, met somebody, got on, yeah. and <laughs> made a new friend through board games. New, yeah, board game friend. Now, Cakes and Ladders is really good. Have you been, Simon? No, I haven't been. Uh, I highly, I've, highly I've, recommend. I've walked past it. It's know, only it's like, like two got dollars about, or something. Yeah, they've per got hour. about they've got about a thousand games now um, right. in the in the repertoire, and they've uh, and, and it's three dollars per person per hour. There we go. So Fantastic. you can you can go and play like a three hour game with your friends and stuff, and it's right. still only nine dollars. And it's and then obviously like, like got if, food and drinks. If I go, do I do I go and join a group of friends or do I? No, I mean either either or. Like they do they do they do events. Like uh, every the first Tuesday of every month, I think is a uh, TPK Tuesday or like a, a role, TTRPG Tuesday where they'll right. just have like a. Um, uh, I used to go to those a lot when I had time, <laughs> um, and uh, we used to play Dread a lot, which is a, a, a role playing game that's all based around a Jenga tower, mm. and it's usually like a thriller or a horror theme, and it's all about suspense. And every time you want to do something as your character, there's no rolling of dice or oh. anything to determine whether or not you're able to do it. Your, your ability as a character is your ability as a player to pull the thing from the Jenga tower oh, without fantastic. it falling. And if the thing falls, that's your character dying. And like obviously there's a game master to sort of narrate the whole thing. Um, just for our listeners who might not know, we're going to be using a lot of abbreviations, probably useful to define them. Yeah. Uh, TTRPG. TTRPG stands for Tabletop Role-Playing Game. Hmm. I knew the RPG part. Right. It was the TT. I was like, hmm, I wonder what that could TT be. TTRPG stands for Tabletop Role-Playing Game, and it is an embodiment, uh, an overarching thing of D&D, Dungeons & Dragons, uh, Pathfinder role-playing game, uh, Call of Cthulhu, which is a huge one in, in uh, lots of parts of the world. Uh, there's a big one in Germany called uh, The Dark Eye. There's any any game that is sort of pen and paper role-playing, essentially. Right. You're, you're playing at a table, but you're, com- you're, com- you're, you're embodying some kind of a character. It's not exactly a board game, but it is still classed as a tabletop game. Right, right. You're doing it over a table together. Yeah. Sure. And you don't necessarily... Well, these days, like, online. <laughs> yeah. You can have a map or <clears throat> yeah, figurines, so or, you, if or you, you don't have to If have you it. don't have a map, it's known as theater of the mind, because you're, right. you're just relying on your theater of the mind. Not great for people with aphantasia, obviously. Sure. You can't yeah. actually picture things. Um, uh, and it's also... It's, it's got its ups and downs. Some people will espouse the benefits of it, being that you can create anything you want, and you're not stri- strictly stuck to like a grid or what you're capable of printing or whatever. 
Um, and then other people say, oh, it's really hard for me to visualize how many goblins are on the field and how far away each one is. If right. they, like, and it'll come back around to my turn and I'll say, I'm going to go and shoot the hobgoblin captain. And it's like, oh, two, two turns ago, the barbarian finished him off. And you're like, oh, I was looking at my character sheet at the time and I missed that. So there's there's benefits and drawbacks to playing theater of the mind. So it's right. not always actual pen and paper stuff on the sure, table. Sure, yeah, yeah. And I guess it, 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 like you're saying, it comes down to the individual player. Yeah. Some people probably love the theater yeah. of the mind stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, but then, I definitely... and then there are others who go, I'm all about the terrain and like printing out minis and yeah. spending like thousands of dollars on, on different like trees and bushes and actually having the actual city laid out on the table so that I can move around and know exactly how far it is to every little thing and I can strategize. And that's, I like, I can, I can see the appeal of that, yeah. That's side of, of role play games like the painting of the figurines and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. You see that like Mike is down there at his desk, he's got it all set up oh, yeah. constantly painting it. Mike's a fantastic painter and I often hire him to paint a lot of my minis. Oh, right, I, right. I don't yeah. do mini painting, but I do have a resin printer, so if I do need to print oh, a mini cool. for a game or anything, if there's a specific monster or terrain piece or something that I'll need, I'll print it and then I'll give it to Mike that's and be a- like, Can you paint this for me, please? See, that's amazing. This is the thing I love is the creativity of it. Like the fact yeah. that you like print your own characters yeah. that you invent yourself yeah. like that's it's amazing yeah it's incredible uh and the, and of course these days every there's with the population of the world being so big and with the internet connecting everything any anything that's a niche no matter how niche it is there's hundreds of people that's that you right. can find that sure. in, as niche so yeah so everything that you could think there's there's people who design who spend their whole jobs just designing minis that you can then go onto their website and be like oh i like this one i like this one i like this one download the stl file and print them at home or- i sit next to mike uh I, we've, i've got sort of a tripod of discs uh because i've claimed them as my own <laughs> and uh me and mike share a border and uh, we've got our craft desk and quite often i'll turn around and see him working on his minis uh he'll ask my advice on what looks best he gets really into his effects you know mm. does the blood trickle look natural yeah. is the shine on the armor looking appropriate is it pulling from the face uh it's incredibly delicate he always, because... he always goes above and beyond with his mini stuff like he's got a rancor that i really love because he's added a bit of um a bit of uh, hot glue from the mouth and, it, and it's dripping down like a bit of saliva that's just hanging out of his mouth and it looks really like a wet drip of saliva oh, but great. you touch it and it's like oh no that's just solid uh, dr- dried uh, hot glue Clever, yeah, it's um, clever, clever stuff. details. Isn't yeah. it? That's what's kind of I find most impressive when I look at miniatures. Is is I, I you know, yeah, amazed <laughs> at, at the. I'm already impressed that they've made a figure that small. Yeah. But then when <laughs> yeah. you see the detail, the detail it just, of it, you know, well. it just heightens the. the yeah, I've picked up joint. a few tips from Mike before of like when you're doing the eyes and the pupils, you have to have like a single hairbrush to try and get the pupils <laughs> right. of the eyes. And if you try and do them looking straight on, that's when the human eye can discern when to, when it's not quite right, and the right. Eye, the eyes of your mini look a little bit boss-eyed. And he says if you're doing like looking to the side, it's a lot easier to get the pupils kind of in the right sure. di- direction. So mm-hmm. have them like side eyeing on your minis and it's always you know, I wonder easier if that, to paint is, is that Mike's um, animation background probably huh, yeah. because this is kind of similar with animation it's easier if the if the pupils are off to the side yeah the, not looking you don't right want, you on. generally don't exactly. want characters barreling the camera yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. Um, I was gonna say that um, Mike did some minis for um, Viva La Dirt League in that's PC right. D&D yeah. that's right yeah so um, so we printed the minis for Viva La that's what I'm most well known for if uh, if you're listening to this and don't know who the hell I am um, I'm the DM for a, the DM the Dungeon Master for a comedy group called Viva La Dirt League um uh, on YouTube, and we've got about a third of a million subscribers on there now. Um, and on their main channel, they just hit five million subscribers for their wow. skit series. Yeah, amazing. Um, so that's where that's what I'm most well known for. And we do use uh, a little bit of theatre of the mind, but I also use a lot of terrain and maps and minis to uh, keep a track of where exactly on the battlefield they are. 
It's a lot more visual for the YouTube channel, obviously, mm. to, than using Theatre of the Mind. Um, so we printed, we designed the minis in a program online. Uh, it's not sponsored, but I'll shout them out anyway. It's called Hero Forge. Uh, it's a website that you can use where you can like manipulate the mini. You can choose like, is it a human? Is it an orc? Is it a dwarf? And then you can say, is it male? Is it female? Sort of body? Does it? Uh, does it have a, a pose where it's like aggressive with a sword, or is it standing there with casting a spell? And you can use all of these minis, uh, these um, different. Uh, poses and things and then you can manipulate it to a, a smaller degree as well like you can twist its hand slightly and you oh, can right. you can put a different expression on its face and once you're happy with it uh, you can print it or you can or you can have it printed for you and sent to you or whatever uh, so we designed it online I think we used Hero Forge at the time but there's a lot of different services that offer the similar sort of things uh, Eldritch Knight I think is one of them or something like that um, uh, and then we printed them and rather than having them printed in color because that they do offer that service with HeroForge but in my opinion it's not anywhere to the standard that Mike can do for us Right. so then I just hired Mike to actually paint them up for us so all of the minis that we see all of the um, unique minis that we see uh, for the characters in the Viva La Dirt League series was painted by my friend Mike I was checking out the channel today it's a it's a healthy channel incredible views uh, on, yeah, we on did every episode well. yeah I think the big thing is that sets us apart from others and the reason that we do relatively well is that there's quite a lot of uh, actual play D&D podcasts or live plays or whatever it is on the internet there's the biggest one obviously Critical Role everybody they get thousands, hundreds of thousands of views every week maybe millions I don't know um, and they were kind of the first and they're all voice actors they're, they, they did it really well really, really high production right from the very beginning where are um, they based? they're based in Los Angeles alright uh, they used to be affiliated with Geek and Sundry and um, uh, and what was the other name of the thing? Can't remember the other name of the um, company. Uh, but then they eventually got big enough that they branched off and made their own studio and everything. Then since then, every man and his dog seems to have a D&D podcast of some kind. Um, and one of the big problems with it, and even with Critical Role, it's a problem for me as well, is that it's an, an entire D&D session every week. So it's about it's a good three or four hours of right. content every week, and if you're if that's all you're watching, if that's like your entertainment, you can get through that in a week and catch up. But if you're watching that and any other D and D content, or you have any kind of a busy schedule and you don't have every evening free to be watching a half an hour here and there, you're gonna struggle to keep up with it. And that was my problem. I, I watched religiously uh, season one and season two. Love Critical Role, still still to this day love it. Um, but uh, but halfway through season three, which is cur the current ongoing season, I was just like. I have to call it I'm just not watching Critical Role anymore because I'm already seven weeks behind and that's right. 21 hours of content <laughs> and I can't possibly catch up on that ever and one of the big differences for us with the Viva the Dirt League one is that we film a big session at the table and then we cut it into half hour chunks oh that's a good idea and it's only half an hour a week and it's more of a comedy uh, kind of a focus as well so it feels more like watching a half hour sitcom and you can more easily catch up with it right. um, and the other point of difference for us is that we take what we do at the table and then a week or two after filming it at the table we review the footage and uh, pick out the funny parts and do that as a green screen to actually act out what happened in the game as it were in the in the world of the game oh, with, so that's how the so Villa Dirt Leagues get that's where they come from they actually come from like in-game experiences yes oh that's fantastic and, uh, I love that they, yes. they already had a background in doing skits and stuff that's what their main yes. channel is yeah, yeah, they yeah, were yeah. really well known for their uh, epic NPC man shorts which are really funny it's just a non-player character in a video game what is their internal world like? You know? Yes, yeah. So, the, so the, um, the the they started about I don't know something like twelve years ago or something, give or take. Um, and they started with a couple of like song parody videos of Starcraft. I want to say it's a game I've never actually played. Um, but they, they that's what 
got viral uh, and got them their first taste of fame. Then they started doing this logic series about like um, about what it would be like to be playing, uh, be a player in um, what's it called, PUBG, the first person shooter game. Player Unknown Battleground, I think it stands for. Again, not really my sort of game, so I don't really play. Um, but it got huge because they were they were they were poking fun at like the logic of the game of like um, if you want to equip a backpack in that game, you have to unequip the backpack that you have. And so uh, one of their early skits for that was somebody going, "Oh, there's a level three backpack here for you." To shout into his friend, and his friend goes, "Oh, br- brilliant! Bring it out for me." And he goes, "What do you mean, bring it out for you?" And he goes, "Just bring, just just pick it up and carry it out for me." And he goes, "All right." And he takes off his own backpack and he puts on that backpack, and, he, and he's like, "Now what?" And he goes, "Well, don't take up, just bring that backpack for me." So it's, it's stupid things like that, yeah. obviously making the fun of between the the real world and and the logic of the game world. Uh, those things did gangbusters. They started a series called Epic NPC Man, which, as Josh says, it's like um, poking fun at like a, a massive multiplayer online fantasy game, like. Um, like World of Warcraft or something, right. uh, and and it started off with Greg the Gallic Farmer, who's just one of the quest givers, and he's and it's told from his perspective as a semi sentient, a, a non playable character in the game, just witnessing what what it would be like to see see all of these crazy adventures. Like one of them is uh, one of the quests is like, oh, I'm dying of po- I've been poisoned by a witch. I just need you to go on this quest to get me three mu- mushrooms from the dark forest or whatever. And the guy goes, I accept, and then he runs off accepting every other side quest in the village while he's <laughs> while he's dying there of poison uh, and because it's a video game obviously time doesn't really pass too much and it doesn't matter when you get around to that quest you fi- you're going to finish the quest anyway it's poking fun of things like that. eventually the guy gets back to him and he's like oh thank you adventurer and then just in the nick of time a moment <laughs> a moment longer and i would have perished uh, so excellent. those sorts of skits and then eventually uh they, they did uh popular obviously and their channel started to grow immensely mike who was a, fr- a mutual friend of uh of, of the viva guys and me um said hey i think D would do really well for your channel because it's kind of like a fantasy theme thing and you could make it around this epic npc man and use the characters that you've established from that series now uh and i happen to know a, a dungeon master and he put us in touch oh right so he's the universal he's the universal linchpin of this podcast me the viva guys that's it yeah yeah that's what mike does he he's a matchmaker (laughs) yeah and and the poppin he did the poppin as well i'm glad he's technically on this episode (laughs) yeah we did ask if he wanted to be here just because he's a he's the bridge between us and you but he said i want this is turning into the mic pod i want rob to do it exactly um so you've then been with the viva la directly guys for what about uh, if, if, I think it's it about was... three or right, four okay. years now. Yeah. yeah. So we the first thing we did was um, we filmed like a tester to see if it would work. We filmed a just a one shot uh, one shot D and D game, um, just an uh, all inclusive kind of self contained thing. Proof of concept. Yeah. The proof idea. of concept. And are, start are, beginning, middle, end, all all in one session, and it was about three or four uh, three or four hours. Right. You're already a professional DM at this point. At that point, I was. I mean. I was was this before I even went back to university? No, this is uh, this is uh, I, I was at university studying mathematics because I was trained as an actor. Decided acting was not paying the bills, and I wasn't really getting the joy out of it anymore. Just pursuing that life of acting, I hadn't really enjoyed it since turning it into a career. Because I was, suddenly you have to do a little networking and side of things that I didn't really like. Um, so I decided I was going back to university and studied mathematics to get a quote unquote real job. <laughs> um, uh, while I started doing uh, maths, I also discovered D and D. And by the time I finished my maths degree, I was a professional dungeon master, and I've not, now not used my maths right. degree. Right. So, so I now have an acting degree and a maths degree, which my friends, <laughs> which my fans do tell me, basically makes a D and D degree. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Storytelling and numbers. So you've 
quite recently then gotten into D and D. About seven years ago, right. I started with D and D. Yeah. Um, so the yeah, I started with D and D while I was at uni. I got uh, I had this thing with the Viva guys. I was still I was at that point. I guess you could technically call me a professional dungeon master because I was earning money doing it. It just wasn't right. my focus. I was doing every month or so i might do a children's party and do like a birthday party with play and play a one-shot D game with them or something like that um or like wow. you know dm, that, DM for hire kind of thing it's a step up from the days of you know the clown or spider-man comes yeah. to your party <laughs> yeah, right? yeah yeah yeah. You can play a day, play a dun- game of dungeons and dragons with it yeah I, that was my first uh, professional job a uh, friend of mine lara um she saw me through cakes and ladders it's all connected she she was at one of these um tpk tuesday sort of things this is where i met her we were we happened to just get introduced and then immediately sit down to play a, a game of dread and we were playing the the pulling the things from the tower and i was really acting out my character and like when i when i knocked the tower over and i give a really elaborate death or whatever she it's i stood i stuck in her mind as like this guy, this guy doesn't, mind, doesn't yeah. mind acting a fool, and he's good at like telling a story and playing a character and stuff. And she got in touch with me and was like, "Do you, dude, you, you play D anD D? Yeah, you, you mentioned that." I was like, "Yeah, I've, I'm recently getting into it." And blah blah blah. She goes, "Would you consider doing it for money? <laughs> I'd, I'd pay you, you know, hundred bucks, two hundred bucks, or whatever, to come and do my kid's birthday party." I was like, "Sure, let's do it." Fantastic. Made it a whole D anD D themed day. Uh, so we started off in the morning, um, like designing their characters, and then they all had like a generic mini that was pre-printed, and they spent their time painting their minis, um, and then like a few hours of doing whatever else, cake and birthday things, while the minis were drying a bit, uh, and then we in the evening played played a two-hour oh, game. Wow. So like it's a that was the whole it was like experience. A whole, it was like a Whole, whole Saturday or whatever, and it was. It sounds like an amazing fun. party. Yeah, it was right. great. It was a lot of fun. So the great thing about that though is if you've got like someone at that party who's like me who doesn't play. Yeah, I could have gone to that Introduced party and to in the it right whole from the very day, beginning. I would have yeah. It could have been a group of kids in Simon. And me, yeah. <laughs> wouldn't have been that creepy. Would? <laughs> who's, who's the big sicky fun dude? Oh no, no, no. He's got to leave. <laughs> Don't care for that nickname. Yeah. He's he's just he's new to D and D and he wanted to he wanted to learn how it plays. No, 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 no. He can't. <laughs> um. I, I, if we're digging into the origins of how you got into D and D and stuff, mm-hmm. I was curious. Were you, would you? Did you consider yourself a fantasy fan in general before getting into D and D? Not really. No. No. So I, Tolkien, no, I, all that sort of. I knew I'd, I'd watched Lord of the Rings as sure. like um, Joe Public kind of a guy, kind of been like, oh, this was fun. But I wasn't. I, I, I was never into comic books. I'd never read the Lord of the Rings. I had read The Hobbit because it's just an easy read and it's the sort of thing you read at high school. Um, other fantasy like Harry Potter I was a big big Harry Potter nerd when I was a kid um I don't really like Star Wars again as like a generic fan uh yep space fantasy space it's fantasy. adjacent yeah, yeah adjacent this that and you know you can tell I'm already stretching by including <laughs> uh, Star Wars like I just didn't never never read or watched any of like the Aragon series or like the Percy Jackson stuff or yeah I I was the same I preferred outer space to fantasy because mm. I was like fantasy it's just it's, it's just history. It's, it's mud and dirt and plague. Nah, forget it. Yeah, I did go and no, see... I was never, in, never into history as, uh, at high school either, like as a yep. lesson. Never never had any interest in learning about the kings of England or whatever that you're forced to learn about in England. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got a new king. Are we all jazzed? <laughs> no. I saw, I saw a hilarious meme of him in a golden chariot being pulled by six horses and there's like wet sand filling all of the, the holes and the caption was, there's something poetic about a, a king of a country being led in a golden chariot over potholes 
potholes filled with wet sand because there's not enough money in the country to fix the roads yeah. properly. I know, I know. Believe me, if we got into it, if we got into <laughs> discussing the ethics of real life Screw kings... Screw D&D, you can, yeah. you can hear lots of podcasts about that. Let's talk about King Charles. <laughs> I like fake kings. They're the fun kind. They're the good ones, mm-hmm. yeah. You can enjoy them because they're not really taking bread out of your mouth. That movie <laughs> Elvis was pretty good. He's the king, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. He was a comics fan. He loved yeah. uh, Captain Marvel, Captain right? Marvel. That's exactly. why he wore a cape. Yeah. Mm. Um, so then when did you first... Um, encounter D&D when discover that play? I was a nerd when, yeah. did I come, when, I, when did I realize have a self-discovery um I let's see how did this begin then so uh, it kind of goes back to when I was mentioning earlier about me, go, uh, going to meet with a friend in Oxford and getting taken to Meeples and Dragons um at the time I was kind of into board gaming and put off by the the fact that it was so expensive and whatnot uh then I discovered Cakes and Ladders and my fiance at the time wasn't really um wasn't really into board gaming. She uh, she wasn't really as willing to go to cakes with me <laughs> as, as, at the frequency as which I, which I wanted. Let's say, uh, so I was trying to satiate that need by um, by listening to a, a YouTube series, watching a YouTube series by Will Wheaton called Tabletop, uh, where he just reviewed board games. He would play play a board game with a bunch of celebrities, uh, a bunch of his celebrity friends. Um, I was about to explain who Will Wheaton was, but I realized who I'm talking to. Yeah. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. So I was watching a bunch of this tabletop series with Will Wheaton, and um, and at one episode he was reviewing uh, Dragon Age, I think it's called, a, a, a TTRPG, and uh, and he had a bunch of people on, a bunch of his, his his actor friends, and they were all just getting into the role playing of it. It's it's a it's not D and D, but it's very D and D adjacent. And I watched that and went, "That's that looks like a lot of fun. And at the time, I'd been doing some hip-hop classes for fun um, with a bunch of actors. And like at the end of each session of that, we would just sat, sit down and have some shared food, some shared kai. Quick question. Did you have uh, a rap name? <laughs> I did not. No, okay. we didn't get that didn't far, get far into the hip-hop. Just dance, just the dance section of hip-hop. Um, and uh, we'd have some shared kai just sitting around um, in a circle chatting about our days and stuff. Uh, a few sessions in, a few, few um, weeks into this hip-hop class, one of the guys there sort of felt comfortable enough uh, admitting, as it were, uh, because of the stigma around it at the time, that he was a dungeon master and that's what he did as a hobby. He enjoyed playing Dungeons & Dragons. Um, so I hadn't really thought anything of it at the time. But then fast forward back to the point where I'm going, oh, this is, this looks really fun, this whole role playing and pretending you're, you're a character and whatnot. Something triggered, triggered in my brain and went, oh, I think that's what, um, what's it called? Dungeons and Dragons is about. I think that's kind of the same thing that that's about. Oh, and that guy was a dungeon master. I'll get into and so I got in touch and was like, "You said you're a dungeon master, right? Would you would you run me a game? I'm interested in knowing what this what this game plays like." Uh, and he was like, "Yeah, sure, let's do it." Um, so he set a game up for me and some of his friends, and we played a one shot. And honestly, immediately my eyes pupils dilated. It's that whole sort of vertigo moment. Whoosh, yeah. The camera zooms extreme close up on my face as I'm like, "Well, this is me forevermore." This is where if, you're supposed to this be. This is yeah. my. This is yeah. this is me. I if need more of your, that in my veins. If this is your uh, biopic film, yeah, this is the moment where you go, "Say that again." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whoosh, extreme yeah. close up of the eyes as they dilate, and I realize this is I'm 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 in Dungeons and Dragons for the rest of my life now. Ooh. Fantastic. Um, and so it appeals to the actor in you. 
Yeah. Obviously, yeah. That's uh, it, it was fortuitous timing because it was around the exact same time that I'd decided I'm I'm not enjoying acting anymore. Right. I need to go back to doing academic stuff and I started studying all of the sciences. In my first year at uni, I didn't know what I wanted to do because I was going back to study and I was like, well, I've always kind of been interested in the sciences. Let's see what I do. And in my first year, I did a paper in chemistry, biology, maths, astronomy, statistics, uh physics, you name it, all the wow. different sciences. And I, I would think that uh, having such a well-rounded uh, general background in all those sort of science mm. areas uh, helps you as a DM to some degree, right? To some degree, yeah. Um, it, having the curiosity that leads, it's sort of like a neither one leads directly to the other, but they both yeah. come from a shared source of curiosity about the world. I think that's got to be true. My uh, dungeon master, Danielle Lucas, uh, anytime we're chatting about anything, She's got a million facts in her back pocket yeah. about this plant, yeah. about this phenomenon, yep. because you have to build a whole fake world that feels immersive. Yes, exactly. And you see the same with uh, another phenomenal Dungeon Master, Brandley Mulligan, who's the Dungeon Master for a series called Dimension 20. Um, just knows a bit about everything. You see him on game shows and quiz shows and stuff, and he's just always got a fact about it. Uh, I think there is a, 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 a tie of some kind, some kind of correlation between people who are... Uh, people who, for whom it appear, appeals to spend the amount of work it needs to do to make a Dungeons and Dragons world and make it feel immersive and come up with, even if you're playing out of the book, like out of a, one of these modules that you can just buy ready-made campaign off the shelf, you still have to flesh it out. There's only so much that the words on the page can give you. Um, having that, <clears throat> having the sort of person that uh, for the, for whom that appeals, and then also having the sort of person for whom they can absorb facts and just have a curiosity about the world and be like, oh, that's fascinating. And I watched this really interesting reel that was about nothing that I should have been doing at two o'clock in the morning, and, but but it led me down a rabbit hole of Wikipedia or whatever. And yeah, I think so there's a correlation can, there. Can I just ask about that? Um, so you can you can actually <clears throat> buy campaigns like a book with a with yes. game in it, but as a as a dungeon master, it's your job to like discard those books and make it up or do you use books or how does that work it's uh, there's as many ways to play as there are people so okay. um for a lot of people maybe they don't have time or maybe they're not as creative a mind or maybe they're just not as confident or maybe they haven't got yeah they haven't got the energy to 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 do the extra work you can buy a module that's off the shelf. Um, it will be written out in bare bones. It'll say like at level one, uh, your players will be in this town, and they'll and you you send them on this quest. Right. Um, and once they've once they get to the quest, here's the stat blocks of the monsters that they fight, and okay. uh, here's the loot that they get if they kill them, and here's some traps, and then you and then they go back to the town, and then you do this, and once they're back at the town, this other thing happens, and, and it, it like kind of leads a, the is through. It like a choose your own adventure thing, or does it go like straight straight ahead? The the modules are written differently by different people, okay. so some there's a lot of reviews online about which ones are better than others because some are written in what's what would be known in the term uh, in the in the industry as railroad kind of a way meaning that it's a it's a campaign on rails it's right. going from a to b to c sure. to d yeah. and others are written with a lot more fluidity a little bit more what's called sandbox which is like look there are seven different quests you can choose from uh, if you if your players choose to go for uh, for quest D first, then flip to page whatever and go to yeah. go and in, enjoy that chapter, and then they go back to like a, a hub to then choose another quest or whatever. Okay, but so I don't need this book if I hire you. If you hire me, right. I don't tend to run books. I've only ever yeah. run one campaign module before, and it was for um, for a group of kids that I was running for, and I was like, I don't have the time to because uh, I, I very quickly started with like a sandbox that I make up made up myself, and I realized no, that's that's not for this group. They don't care about that. They just want like they want to be. 
given a call to action and a very clear goal to do, and so I was like, I'll just run run right. the book. Right. So it also can <laughs> depend on uh, on what the players want. On what players want as well. Yeah. Yeah. Some because because I should mention as well the terms railroad and sandbox. They have this stigma uh, around rail railroading. People talk about railroading like it's a bad word, like it's a bad thing, and like you're if, if you do that, you're a bad dungeon master, and that's just patently false. Right. Some players prefer to be railroaded. Even even my Viva La Dirt League guys, they don't tend to like as sandboxes I tend to play in my own games because a couple of them in specific have speci- have, have like particularly asked me out of uh, out of game. I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. Can you just tell us what the next thing, the next part of the story is, and we'll go off and shoot, kill, you know, kill and shoot some monsters and stuff? Like, I, I, need, right. I need something to hit with a hammer. Like, I don't know what to do unless you've guided me that way. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so for them, I give them a more the action. Yeah, for them, I give them more of a railroady type thing where, like, they'll finish a quest and I will present them with an NPC that happens to come by to you at that exact moment and tell you, oh, if uh, if only there were some heroes, and they say, <laughs> yeah. I, I could I could really do with some help over here, uh, and. <laughs> then they go oh let's go call to action let's go do that thing and then i railroad them to the next thing it uh, it took me a long time as a player to get uh good enough as a player of obviously the mechanics of the game but also as a role player to get confident and confident enough to start thinking about what my character wants to do and will be doing with their free time yeah that's when you start wanting to play a bit more sandboxy when i started out i was just like i'm one of the characters along for the along. Ride. <laughs> all the other players were more experienced so i was very happy to just be the uh the brute who comes along and uh point me at a thing and i'll smash it yeah um one of our campaigns that we are currently playing, we're, we're taking a break from it, um, is uh, Cthulhu Inspired. We mm. have played Call of nice. Cthulhu, um, but it's about, you know, extra dimensional threats breaking through into our world. And they've destroyed quite a few towns, which were connected by literal railroads. <laughs> so it's a really fun combination of you guys can go off into the wild and find uh, things to fight if you wish. But if you want to work for the train company... Uh, Every time you come back, the train master will have a mission and go, go to this town and see why everyone's dropping dead over there, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it's it doesn't have to be one or the other. No. They're very, very broad I, terms. I tend, to, I tend to describe my GMing style as being there's, there's an open world sandbox, like I create the world and there's always something going on in that city. If you wanted to go to that city, I'll come up with plot quests that are going on there. And I also, unlike what we were saying about the um, NPC D&D skit with him, like uh, him, him dying of poison and the quest's always going to be there because it's a video game. I, I make a very pointed um, uh, fact about my games not being that way. Right. So if there are two quests, and I and I give one. This this is actually a genuine example of something I ran with some of my kids. There was a quest to go and warn these two dwarves that are excavating a mine nearby um, that there's a dragon moved into the area. That's one of your quests. Go and go and do that. And if they chose to do that, once they got to the mine, they could choose to just deliver the message and go home, or they could discover that oh the dwarves are in trouble because there's something that they've now uncovered in the mine. And the, and it was an ongoing thing. So that was one of the quests. Another of the quests was like uh, someone's been attacked by a manticore and blah blah blah. And and do they have the option of I'll go to the dwarves. They could definitely. Josh, that's, you go that's, and, that's known yeah. as splitting the party, and it is. Right. Uh, there's a lot of memes in in the D and D world about don't split the party because okay. then you're then there's only one of you attacking whatever you, either of you have come across. Right. And there's always going to uh, be a monster. It's, it's classic it. horror movie rules. Right. Exactly. Yeah, don't split yeah, yeah. up. Don't split right up while you're yeah. going to die. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, having said that, in Mike's group last night, they ended up with a four way party split with five people playing. <laughs> Two of them wow. went off together. Everybody else went off solo <laughs> and did something else. Anyway, um, but so, it's still fun. Like when you're sitting around playing, oh, if yeah. you're not off on a mission and, and and some of your party have gone off on a, uh, uh, you know to 
I'll say it one, takes a good dungeon master to try and be fun to play. It takes a good dungeon master to try and keep people engaged and not right. stay on one person for half an hour and then go, oh, that's right, these guys did this. Right. I, I try to remember to jump across every five minutes or whatever and be like, okay, what's happening over here? We'll put a pause on that. What's happening over here? I'll kind, uh, kind um, of keep them involved. A really good tip that our dungeon master gave us was uh, be interested in the other characters in your campaign. Yes. I, it's very easy to when you're a new player to be solely focused on your player. What what they're about what's I'm, their I'm a wizard and my goal is to go and get some new spells for my spell book so I'm going to go to the library whenever we go to a new town I'm going to the library I'm getting some spells for my spell book that's all I'm focused on and it's like yeah but that means that you're going to spend every session on your own in a library yeah <laughs> and nobody yeah. else is and there. Yeah. kind of missing out on the rest yeah. of the game because that, that's the impression I get that like this game it's a creative and comedy based type thing right not always comedy not, not always, always comedy you I, can but like, this, you this can... was my question because like in preparation for this, I, I was just saying I, I had been listening to the Dan Harmon, um, yeah, Harmon quest, the Harmon quest, and like that's definitely comedy based. Oh, very much. And right. I recommend comedy, it because it's sure. it, it is truncated. They they squish them down to about twenty minutes, yeah. and also it's animated. So their version of what you guys do on Viva La yeah. League um, NPC D and D is you cut away to you guys in costumes. Yeah, we cut uh, away to the acting. live live action of us acting out the things that happened in the game, and they do they do the similar but with animating it instead. Oh, I didn't see the animated ones. I just didn't, oh, right. it was just um, really? like a just podcast them sitting at a table. Where they're, ah, where they're just right, talking you out. in front of uh, like a live audience. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and I think they had mostly comedians playing. Probably. Because yeah. sometimes I was like, they often do, can yeah. we get on with the game? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, One of oh. the problems that I face as the Dungeon Master of the Viva the Dirtly Guys, who are a comedy based group, is that I have to toe the, li- toe the line of like, when when do I just let them riff for a bit? And when is it like, I we've only got half hour episodes. I need to have something happen this episode, otherwise people are gonna not gonna tune in next week. Yeah. Sort of and so I, I try to I try to railroad them a little bit and move them along a little bit. I, I and it's about trying to find that balance. I, right. I think D D often lends itself to comedy because uh it is high fantasy and I often find that when you're playing with a bunch of people you're adults with real jobs and yeah. mortgages and bills. And so sitting down uh, to pretend to be this fantasy race, you know, of adventure and magic, there's a part of you that feels a little bit silly. Right. So it just sort of comes out of people, people wanting to find humor in the situation, just to be like, we're we're having a laugh here, right? It's, it's escapism for a lot of people. And that the form that, that often takes is blowing off steam with making silly jokes and comedy and whatever. Um, but for some people, the escapism takes the form of, I want to take a gritty, realistic look at what it would be like to be in a, a you know, a Game of Thrones type world and acted out in that kind of a campaign where everything's like got proper consequences for your actions and everything. Yeah, our, our first campaign that we played to completion was uh, The Curse of Strahd. It's a very popular campaign. You pick, it's a book that you um, that you get given. It's a location, Barovia, this haunted countryside that you can't leave, ruled over by an evil vampire lord, and you're trying to find your way out. Um, and... We were, we were fairly green players, so there was a lot of comedy, a lot of riffing, and don't get me wrong, we had a great time, but uh, another important nugget that we got from the Dungeon Master was, look, I'm happy for you guys to joke, you know, be respectful of other players' time, and if you're riffing for a long time, look at the clock and go, okay, back okay. to the game, sorry guys. Right. Um, but, absolutely have fun, but don't have your characters be joking around or being goofy if that's not how your characters would feel. Mm. If something actually scary is happening to your character, because it's a because it's a horror. Joke, that but... is a horror campaign. It is designed to be a horror slash thriller campaign, and you're meant you know it's vampire horror kind of thing, gothic horror. So if you are joking around at the table, 
in psychology terms, it's called coming up for air, where if something's so much affecting you that it often is a human natural response to make a joke about it or whatever, it's because yeah. it's kind of like feeling, oh, I can distance myself or I can feel like I'm, I'm not getting as affected by it as I am. But if it's not just the joke sporadically to come up for air, but you're like undermining the theme that the Dungeon Master is trying to set. Like if the Dungeon Master has turned the lights down and has put a hood on and has lit candles around the room and it's clear that they have put a lot of work into trying to make the ambience of this whole game feel like you're actually acting out this this horror, then be respectful of that and don't right. be like making dick jokes. And yeah, stuff. yeah. See, that's what I was wondering about. Like, what if you do get stuck with someone who just won't play that the game? And it's, they just... is, that is the nature so. of a session zero. You often play a game, uh, play a, a one-shot before you start playing. You, you Your dungeon master should really go over what the sort of genre of the game is, what the kind of themes and expectations that he has, uh, they have, sorry, Um so, like, you, you, you'd go over a lot of things in a session zero, like, what are the house rules that that, that dungeon master plays with if he's changed any of the rules? Um, you, you go over things like, how much danger do you want in your games? Do you like to, do you like the thrill of every single combat has the chance of your character dying? Or do you prefer to be like, look, I want to, I, I like to play my games on easy mode. I don't like the chance sure. that I'm going to die every game because it's stressful or whatever. You talk about all these things ahead of time so that hopefully you negate or, or at least lessen the chances that you get six or seven or ten sessions into a game, a campaign, and then realize these this party is not gelling. Right. This yeah. dynamic of pet players that I've put together is really not good for each other. And um, my, uh, my group that I play with, when we begin a campaign, we usually go over um, a list of potentially triggering things that might be in the game yes. just yeah. because oh, interesting. Yeah. Some, yeah, of the, give... some of our players have um including myself have mental health uh issues and stresses in their lives so we just like to be upfront about these are the kinds of things that will be in the game you know murder and that sort of the, thing are you know it's usually literally the, the very the first thing that i do on a session zero and i actually call my session zero as a check-in session because session zero implies that you do it ahead of the first session and never again whereas check-in session implies like yeah you check in every so Once often because while, those yeah. things can change people right. might have discovered new phobias or realize that they didn't have a certain trigger that they realize in game once as yeah. soon as you just start describing in graphic detail a spider comes down and paralyzes you and then starts inching closer to your eyeball and you're like no 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 x x stop let's stop this scene because i have a thing about eyes and i I didn't realize it until okay. right this moment. Right. It's happened so to the, me. There, the, I've discovered in the game things that I was uncomfortable with that I didn't realize. Uh, right. But we talked about it afterwards, and uh, the DM said, "Look, uh, the characters can ha- I, the characters. I'm going to put them to the uh, yeah. through difficult situations. Characters can have a bad time. I don't want you to no, actually have a bad time. A bad time yeah. I don't want Big you to difference. be going into your week feeling crap because right. something's upset the, you. The, <laughs> I'm, re- I'm going to be playing a, a game of Vampire the Masquerade, another TTRPG about vampires um, soon, and uh, I started reading the, the the book for that, the rules for it, and the very first page has like a disclaimer about content warning and stuff, and it says Vampire the Masquerade is set in like a gritty, realistic world, and I think there's like, and it's a note from the author and. It's like I think there is real, uh, real, real benefit to be had by exploring all sorts of dark themes. I think everything's on the table in a TTRPG exploration as it is in all of the forms of media. There can be real benefit to exploring these things and knowing how to face them in the real world. And I stuff. wondered about that, like it's because it is a fantasy sort. Yes, of, it's a safe space. And the best thing about the vampire disclaimer is that it ends with saying, "This is a game about monsters, but it is just a game. Right. Do not use it as an excuse to be a monster yourself." And Great, I think yeah. that's perfectly that's worded really because, like, I, the f- very first thing I do in a session zero is is uh, a consent and gaming checklist where I have a big checklist of everything that I could imagine talking about. How do you feel about torture, slavery, genocide, uh, police brutality, this, that, and the other, homophobia? Do you want to ex- and I and I make it very clear at the top of the form. 
how, how uh, what you're answering is how do you feel about these uh, these these topics being explored in my games not how do you feel about them in real life obviously we're all uh, we're all averse to um torturing children gee how do i feel about torturing children yeah like, everybody's <laughs> but, averse to that in real life but how do you feel about seeing that played out in a game, in game where right. where it sets up uh, in in a storytelling narrative is called kick the cat where you where it's a really e- easy way of saying this guy's a bad guy yeah by showing them doing something such as kicking a cat or torturing a child and then you're like okay that, that's a bad guy i can kill him without feeling remorse i yeah. can like it sets up for the people who are playing a hero game like D, it sets up you can go off and kill that guy and, and loot his body and stuff, and you don't have to feel any sort of morality or guilt about it. <clears throat> yeah, and I really like that that you do that because especially where like where you're kind of playing and having a bit of fun, like like people's sense of comedy is different. What some people yeah. will find funny will like other people yes. will be straight up offended by, it. and you, and you don't know like what what like yes you don't know what is going to offend mm-hmm. people, so you kind of. You, hold back on it, things. It's all just about communication. And it's um, communication of I, all that you had to begin with. Yeah, I, I, love I play uh, D&D uh, through Discord because everyone's in a different location. Most of my friends are in Dunedin. One of them's in Hawaii. I'm in Auckland. Um, we take we make good use of the uh, the direct message feature because we, can, we, the players, can have a little sidebar between each other if we're discussing something yeah. we don't want the other characters oh, to know. Okay, right. But it's also useful. Um, I found it once or twice when... Uh, when our characters are getting into it, when our characters are having an argument and real, ma- actually mad at each other, we do just occasionally we'll send a quick DM being like, just letting you, just reminding mm-hmm. it, just letting it be said, I'm not mad at you. Our characters are right. fighting, right, but right, we're right. not fighting, oh, right? Fair. We're yeah, good? Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's yeah. cool. These, that's these cool. days, there's a real movement among uh, among the... I, no, I was going to say among the more recent players of D&D, but I think, it is, I think it is among everyone. It's not really an age or a generation thing as much as it is a personality thing, the people who push back against it. But there is there are, most people that you'll find playing these days have an understanding of using safety safety measures within D&D. Yeah. Often it's the X, where you throw up an X with your, your uh, crossed arms or you have like if you're playing a person you have a card on the table that has an x on it that you can touch and stuff something just giving people different options of 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 ways of saying i'm not comfortable with this because if you rely on somebody if if you're acting out a scene of you know any kind of your your, your character's been grabbed and tortured or something and you're acting out a scene and you're relying on somebody not being comfortable just saying they're not comfortable you're forgetting the fact that the manifestation of that discomfort might be for someone the loss of voice, like when we get into a stressful or uh, traumatic or triggering situation, often the body can shut down to be like, so it's all, it's just as much about watching somebody's personal, p- personality and body language kind of shifting in that That's moment. It. It. And they might not be comfortable saying out loud in a, in a group of people who are having a good time with that scene, so they think. Um, they don't, maybe there's a part of them that's going, no, don't be a spoil spot, don't ruin their fun. That's right, that's right. But they might be comfortable like just silently putting their hands in an x shape or touching a card on the table that has an x on it or whatever and the dungeon master often if you're a good dungeon master and you're actually using those safety measures uh you're keeping an eye on that and going all right let's move on from this scene fade to black we all know what happens in the rest of the scene but let's move on with the story to the next part of the story ah that's fantastic Yeah. yeah it's it's uh it's kind of amazing how uh uh invested you get in your story and your characters you know when you when a game ends and you're still thinking about uh what happened with your characters or how are you going to resolve this situation you know there are times when uh playing our cthulhu inspired games where i'm in character and i'm thinking boy the weight of the world is really on our shoulders if we don't <laughs> if we don't stop this uh gigantic amorphous uh 
goat man, the world's going to end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've got a lot of people relying on us. So um, there, there, there is a question that I have. Um, like you're into you're into your game. You love your character, um, but your character can die. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So what happens if your character dies? Like, one of the one like, of the big questions at session zero is: Are you okay with your character dying? That's okay. One of the okay. things I ask, like, right. are you okay with your character dying in this story? Because uh, if if they've, and I usually ask it in the terms of like a sliding scale of danger. If somebody in the game has put like that they like a you know eighty percent danger, and and I, I look at that and go, most of the combats I'm going to be targeting on this character. Like I'm okay. going to be focusing on that guy rather than the guy who put a forty percent because he wants his his combats to be a little easier. He doesn't like the the inherent sense of danger. Um, death, how, how death, is like? death, death is a real game. Death is a real death is a real possibility. But yeah. a, it's a world of magic. It's high fantasy. Like the general setting of D and D is high fantasy. Okay. You know, Lord of the Rings esque, where people death isn't necessarily back. the end. There's resurrection magics and things. Um, a couple of people have died in Mike's game, um, and they got resurrected, and that ended up with a whole other act because one of them is still in the body of somebody that he didn't. He he was a lizard folk man, but he got he got reincarnated and came back as an elf. And he's like, I don't identify as this guy. I'm warm blooded now, and I don't right. have the sense. Same sense of smell and stuff. So he's on a personal quest and to work out how to become a lizard folk oh, again. And it adds to just more story. Is this the same character Mike was telling me about where his character did fully die, mm-hmm. went to a heavenly afterlife, yep. and has come back and is like, I hate it here. Yeah, that was it's it. terrible. That, that, Food doesn't two, taste two, good. Yeah, two of them died at the same time. One of them came back as a lizard folk. The other one came back as himself, but he was resurrected by a hag, and hags always always like getting some kind of a, a weird deal with you, yeah. or like giving you what you want, but like monkey paw twisting mm-hmm. it or whatever. Um, and her monkey paw twist of this situation was once he comes back, I gave him on his character sheet, I had him write down under the personality ideals section of his character thing. Uh, food doesn't taste as sweet. Um, beds are always scratchy. People are kind of uh, annoying. Uh, life since since tasting heaven, life is shit. And yeah. he and he to, true to his character, he he played for several sessions. He was playing this kind of semi depressed, just kind of I wish you hadn't brought me back. Heaven was better, sort of thing. <laughs> just a and then eventually, and then eventually, I didn't want him to you know ruin his character for the rest of the game. Eventually, they went on a little bit of a quest. They discovered a, a celestial who could like cure him of that, and they spent a bunch of money to get some diamond dust. He cast some spell, and he realigned his his thinking about the world. And I had him remove that from his character, and suddenly he's back to being like, oh, actually, I can experience the joy of being alive again. Oh, now and, right. So, uh, but I, he doesn't get to be a lizard person again. <laughs> no, no, like, no, not yet. Can't quite reset. Oh, well, maybe one day. He's yeah, still they're, got, they're, on right. a, they're on a quest to find out how to do that. And okay. I've got in mind how they're going to do it. Oh, but wow. We'll see. That's Spoilers for Mike. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have a quick story to illustrate um, the just how you know uh, malleable life and death is in D and D. My first character, who I was talking about, the brute. Uh, he was in the Curse of Barovia, uh, the Curse of Strahd campaign. Um, he died multiple times. He was an incredibly <laughs> stupid character. So he never understood that he had died. He thought he just woke up. Uh, the first time he took a deal with... Uh, like, Man, that was lucky, wasn't it? That was a close one. <laughs> you know, the body. Who really knows how it works? He took a deal with a, um evil sort of living sarcophagi. They were offering gifts nice. in exchange for strange um, uh, changes to your body. Unpredictable. You know, he ended up with no teeth and fur all over his body. But he got a bunch of cool powers. He could fly. <laughs> um, and he could uh, instantly resurrect should he die. So in our final confrontation with Strahd, Strahd killed my character, who was a hobgoblin. But then I instantly was reborn as a dragonborn and bah, lightninged him in the face with my dragon breath. <laughs> now, how do you get that power that you can instantly come back alive? I mean, uh, sarcophagi, got to talk by, to a mummy. By making making deals with something. Yeah. So the Dungeon Master is essentially an omnipotent god in the, in the game. Okay. And has the ability to go... 
Uh, yeah, all right. Okay. <laughs> At any point. So, like, you go to the dungeon master with maybe a request, and then it's up to the dungeon master. It, it could be, could work either way around. The dungeon master could have come up with it themselves right, and be okay. like, "I've got this, uh, I've got this idea." And in the game, they go to the the sarcophagus with no no understanding of what's happening. The dungeon master offers you it, and then in character, you decide to take it. Yeah. Or it could be the other way around, where often my players will come to me out out of game and say, "I think it'd be really cool for my character to go on like a redemption arc where they meet their their ex wife and they." And the and the ex wife's actually like a, a zombie or something. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's let's put right. that into the game, and right. I will work it into my story that I've got for them. Wow. So it can work either way. Like it's a collaborative. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, well, I, yeah, I describe D and D as collaborative storytelling. Yeah. You are you are all t- you are all sitting at the table telling the story, and it's a unique form of storytelling, unlike any other media, because you are you are all collectively the writers of the story the performers of the story and the audience for the story because unlike right. in my games as a professional dungeon master putting my, my content out onto the internet like Viva Dirtlik and stuff that's a very rare form of Dungeons and Dragons most Dungeons and Dragons games are people just playing in a room to themselves for their own enjoyment right, and right, nobody's right. going to hear about that story because everybody outside of Dungeons and Dragons doesn't give a shit about hearing your Dungeons and Dragons stories even it's people true. within the Dungeons well, and Dragons is that Dragon true because this is my next even, even within the Dungeons and Dragons worlds nobody who's not in your game really cares about right, your stories and for you it's like super exciting to tell the story of what happened to your character and everybody else is like oh yeah yeah I wasn't there so I, I don't have oh, all the context right. I met a bunch of D&D players at the wedding I was at <laughs> okay. and hey it was great to talk to them we all had a great time comparing our experiences and stuff but in truth Everyone was just waiting their turn <laughs> waiting to tell, to tell what happened in their game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how it goes a lot. So, um, so yeah, you are you are the writers, the performers, and the audience for the story, and it's right. a weird form of storytelling. It's but kind it's kind of like really story fun. jazz, isn't it? Yeah, story <laughs> jazz, exactly. Yeah, just, that, you want to come over and have a jam? Yeah, because everyone's got their section. You know, uh, if you're one of the players, you control your character. That's who you're in charge of. You get to make decisions for them. The dungeon master controls uh, the world that you're in and the other characters that you're going to interact with. Right. But nobody has a one, no one can say with 100% certainty exactly what's going to happen. Which is one of the problems of uh, sort of D&D horror stories of like bad DMs is the DMs that go in thinking, this is my story. And, right. oh, my players are ruining my story because they're not going the places that I wanted them to go. Well, it's because you're going in the, with the wrong expectations right. of what this is. Mm-hmm. If you want to control a story, write a novel. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was this was what I was I was going to ask. Like, does it ever happen that you like a story forms in a game? Oh, 100%. And, and people kind of think we should oh, write yeah. this down. Oh, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, I oh, guess yeah. that's what things. Thing. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine that that's probably the impetus of a lot of different like fantasy movies right. and TV shows have probably come about from or been taken from Dungeons Am and Dragons. Am I wrong that like uh, that uh, Vin Diesel has like a a movie series that is totally inspired by his D and D character? Is that right? Yeah, that's what I've heard. I I don't know if Not it's Reddit, but it's is he witch hunter? That yeah. that could be it. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think that is it. Yeah, I think the witch hunter might be might have been inspired by his D and D character. Or, when you're rich or enough, or vice versa. When he got that series, he started playing it as a character. Maybe and one one way or another, there's definitely a tie. Um, I've seen him playing in a one shot with the critical role guys as as his witch hunter character. Now, what's a one shot? One like, shot is just as it sounds. It's a one shot thing. It's just it's one, one and done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it's not it's, a campaign. It's not a character where you're going to keep playing campaigns. Or... So I, I'm playing in a couple of different campaigns that have been running for about six or seven years now. Same right. characters, same story, same world. Just I keep making new things for them to do, and they keep leveling up and you know improving. Um, whereas one shots are like, hey guys, we're going to be meeting on Saturday the sixth, and we're then that's it. We're, yeah. Like. It's going to be a beginning, middle, end story. We're going to go have three hours to tell it. Right. And any character can die. Because let, let's say, like, if you have a character that's six years and it dies, and your games master is not going exactly. to let, let you come back, you'd be pretty upset over that. I've had a couple characters um, die or otherwise not be playable anymore. 
And there is a part of you that's sad because you're like, I really liked you playing can, as this character. People can sometimes like go through genuine grieving processes for being yeah. like, I've I've played this. This is it's like a pet. I've had yeah. them in my life in some way for so much, and I've thought about them several times a day for the last six <laughs> yeah. years or whatever. And you know, now they're not there anymore. Now I'm never going to get to explore the the rest of the stories that I had planned for them. Though in yeah. some ways, that's part of the fun because it makes the life and death situations mean something to you. You're not just rolling a thing and going, oh, my Monopoly piece fell over. Mm. You're going, this character who I've really invested in, I don't want them to die. I've got to do everything I, in my power depends, within this depends game. Depends on your personality because that, for some people, would be like, I am never going to get into a combat. I'm going to go out of my way to roleplay my guy going off to settle down on a farm because I don't want him to die. Yeah. Well, exactly. You do also sometimes need to talk in a session zero about like, why is your character in this you group need, on yeah. this adventure? You need to have... That's one, that's one of the reasons why in a session zero I like to do character creation as a group rather than off, go off individually, come up with a character idea and bring it back. Because if you're talking... Even if you are like sitting around individually making your character there's going to be some sort of table talk about like ah oh, which spells should i take or what i'm thinking of maybe fighter maybe barbarian which should i and, and somebody else will be like oh i was going to go barbarian you're like yeah. okay maybe i'll go fighter then right you, you don't there's, want there's more of a party creation because it is a it is at the heart of it a party game like yeah. you can each of the characters each of the classes in in dnd are overpowered in their own right and really weak in other they, they are designed to have super powerful things that they can do that are like whoa that's op and then other things that are like man you really can't do that at all and no it's because it's right. not my class that's your class you can do that sure you can you can do your dodging or your, your three that, attacks that, per round so or, that gives everybody their special thing everybody's got their thing the you are meant yeah. to be a an ensemble team working together to right. fill in each other's so niches every, and everyone gets a moment or some area that they get to shine and feel like a cool character that makes it fun for you to play if i'm not wrong the whole thing dungeons and dragons came about because gary gygax and those other nerds uh, were really into Tolkien and they were like we want to be able to play as fantasy characters we want a so yeah, let's create so, a rule system yeah David okay. Anderson and uh, Gary Gygax were playing a game called Chainmail which is like a, uh, a war game so much like uh, 40,000 where you're playing like an entire bat- battalion of people you've got all your terrain set out it's an entire table you're pushing things around because you can't reach the middle of the table um, and you're rolling like 200 dice and you move an entire battalions measured out by like cocktail sticks it was one of those games, and then they started with a fascination in Tolkien and things. They they started like making up names for the different people in the battalion. Oh, uh, Gary's going to go over here, and and Greg's going to do this one, and Simon's going to climb this wall. Um, and then they started giving them personalities and stuff, and they were like, they they started coming up with rules for themselves as to like, oh, uh, if he we we said we jokingly said that this guy used to be a baker, so that means he would have a he would have a specialty in this, and right. and this guy over here has worked on a farm, so he'd be stronger. So I'm actually going to give him a plus one to this role. And then they were like, we should make this a game. <laughs> we should yeah. actually get where you can actually play out individual people in a in a fight, which is for some people they would argue that that's kind of a uh, a bit of a pain of an origin because it has still very much got ties in even the fifth edition now it's like very much a war game you can tell that the vast majority of your class features and things are about combat mm-hmm. and killing things and especially today people are like are orcs inherently evil or would, would can we never tell a story about an orc that's lawful good or like yeah. wants to go against the barbarian pillaging things are they are they different just because they're a different culture? People are questioning that, and people fewer and fewer people are wanting to just play a hack and slash dungeon crawl, kill the monsters, take the loot, go back and get better weapons to kill more monsters. Yeah, and so and so it's still got uh, it's still kind of progressing away from being that initial war game origin, making it more of like an exploration, social role play, acting out a. And is, is there a point? 
like in the history of D and D where it where it does become less about war games. It's or is just it, been gradual. It's it's, it's, still, it's getting yeah, it's that just, way. Um, they different... only just recently released uh, Wild Beyond the Witchlight as a campaign, like one of these that you can take off the shelf and run. And it's set in a fairy land, the Feywild. Um, and it was the first campaign that they'd ever written so that it was doable without any combat. Right. So that you could actually achieve the entire campaign without having any what combat What kind of campaigns like, are there? That if, if, if it's not killing, like what is it? The, 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 it would be puzzles, it would be riddles, it would be social oh, deductions. Okay, so that game, okay. uh, that game like in particular... Escape, like an escape game or something Maybe, like that. yeah. So that game in particular is set around uh, three hags, a, a coven of witches who have uh, betrayed their stepsister, and she's like the main... Um, she's the main boss of the campaign, as it were, but she's actually like a good guy. She's been trapped in a stasis, and you have to go to the three witches individually and do things for them. Each of them has options for you to do, like, you could just fight them and kill them if that's the way you are inclined but you can also they've also got little quests you can go on to uh, yeah. if you do this for me and you do that for me and blah 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 then I'll I'll release my sister or whatever uh, Simon you'd be interested I won a D&D book which is a campaign um, it's called Acquisitions Incorporated my understanding is it's more about uh, your adventuring party uh, working for a boss you guys are uh, trying to do business you're trying to do trade you're trying to okay. get uh, rare and expensive items and I and my brain instantly went. Oh, it's a Ferengi simulation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, it's the only time it. I've that, been semi-tempted to okay. start to dip my toe into and that's the, the difference. It's the difference between Star Trek and Star Wars. Star Wars is always going to be about war. Star Trek is going to be about exploration. Yeah. Trek, right, true, yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got we managed to tie it back after all. Yeah. Uh, Rob, um, so you are a professional dungeon master. Is that your full time job? Full time job. When, what how, I make how, a living doing. how soon did it? How, when did it go from being something that you do occasionally because yeah. people know you do it and this is now my uh, job? In the last semester of my degree, doing my maths degree, I uh, we went into lockdown, to, uh, COVID tw- uh, 2020, March 2020, um, and, uh, and, I, and I had a six months left on my degree. And at the same time, uh, I, heard, I, I started doing the isolation games on the YouTube channel. Which was which was by necessity. Uh, we we had just started the D and D channel. We'd been advertising, "Hey, you, uh, Viva the Dirt League's got a second channel, and they're doing D and D. And like, if you like the Epic NPC man, come on over." And we'd got a bunch of people on subscribing to the channel before we had any content for the channel. We'd recorded the table session, and we. Uh, literally the day we were meant to be recording the the green screen so that we could edit it into the episodes and actually start putting episodes out was the first day of the lockdown. So the green screen got postponed. We were like, oh shit, we've got a channel with no content and we've got months ahead of us of of, uh, being in lockdown. So we got in touch with Wizards of the Coast, the people who published D&D and said, give us some money and we'll do a a four-part series, just like a mini-series, just run over uh, over Roll20, an an online um, uh, D&D game uh, software. So we we did that. We put together this four four episode thing. We put it online on the on the channel as like a hey look we we can't put out regular content but here's something for you, um, and people were talking about it and in, in in people were loving it. People were enjoying the series and uh, and then a friend of mine got in touch and said they're raving about you over on Ben's Twitch channel by the way. And I was like, what's Twitch? Uh, <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> you know, we, sounds like me in the yeah, first podcast. We had an episode of the podcast with Mike right. where he he sort of had to explain the concept of Twitch yeah. uh, right, to Simon right, right, because right. when you haven't heard of it before, you're like, 
So you're you're so it's like live, li- it's like yeah. live YouTube. What? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I went. Uh, I I made a make out for myself and logged in because you know eager maniac that I am. I was like, I want to see what people are saying about me. Uh, I popped into the chat. Hey guys, and people were like, Oh, he's he's here. We love your your jamming style, and I think you're a really good DM and blah blah blah. And then people very quickly started being like, You should stream on Twitch as well. And I was like, What would I stream? I'm not a gamer. And it's like, No, it's not just for gaming. It's not just for art. It's not just for things like music and stuff. You could do literally anything on Twitch and just start. Streaming streaming like some people stream themselves sleeping if they've got a big <laughs> right, enough audience yeah. and stuff doing house chores whatever um so i was like oh maybe i'm a bit of a storyteller i guess so maybe i could just like oh I'll tell you what i could do i could take one of the the monster drawings that ben's drawing he was super into drawing monsters at the time i could take one of those monster drawings and then i could give it stats and make it a D monster that they could actually face in the game cool maybe that'd be a good stream and people are like yeah absolutely so i started streaming um back in may 2000 and uh, yeah 2000 so three years ago um and it took off in a big way very quickly uh to the point where by the time halfway through the year by like june or so when i was finishing my degree i was like i i've realized now that i'm kind of rob van dam i'm i'm i'm, I'm straddling two uh two trains here <laughs> doing the splits <laughs> right. and the trains are coming up to like a junction where they're gonna go different directions i'm doing maths i'm doing D, which train do i commit to or do i and my brother was like look, you should get on the maths train because if you get off, it's going to be harder to get on later and like it's more secure. And I was like, yeah, you, you, you're probably right. D&D! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I jumped onto the D&D train and I committed full-time to doing Twitch streaming and it took off in a big way. I started my own YouTube channel, started doing some D&D content on that. Um, in a in a couple of weeks, I don't know when this is released, but in a couple of weeks from now, uh, we're releasing the podcast, the Robert Hartley GM podcast. Uh, I've got Instagram, Twitter. I'm on I'm on all of them now, and it's just a little bit of uh, income from here and there and everywhere. I've got a merch store. You can you guys in the studio can see me wearing Lovely, my own yeah. merch. Yes. What's the What's the podcast going to be about? Uh, it's basically going to be the um, content from my YouTube. Uh, at least at first, anyway, it's going to be mm-hmm. the content from my YouTube uh, strips of audio and put on as a podcast because the smartest way to make content is to make a single thing of content and then put it out on YouTube and then edit it into one minute uh, snips of that and put it out on YouTube Shorts and Insta Reels and TikToks and then take the audio from it and make it a podcast and maybe maybe transcribe it and put it up as a blog. Like you use yeah. one thing of content and put it on everything. Yeah. So that's what it's going to be at first because I do have a lot of fans who say uh, I'd love to watch your YouTube videos, but I'm stationed on. On, on on patrol out in God knows where with no internet or whatever or really bad broadband and, and it's just too much and I'm like okay well if we if you lose the vis- visuals and make it as a podcast only um, then people can listen to the story and it's just mm-hmm. giving it you know it's it's like you say you make one thing of content it's like your potato you can do it a million you different can ways cut it up in a million ways some yeah. people prefer just to yep. listen yeah exactly. some people want it long form some yeah. people want to watch 30 seconds yeah exactly and some some people want to would prefer to listen to the story as they're doing dishes or driving or something mm. and it's just, just not feasible to do that with youtube and things so we eventually listened to that and went yeah actually it wouldn't be so much work to put it out as a podcast and you do quite a few cool things on your uh youtube channel uh one thing you do is robert reads which is just you yeah. live reading stories so it started that started because i was like as a as somebody who is a storyteller full time, I need to be practicing my craft. You need to be always, you know, always improve, always improving, always in- increasing your talents and skills in different areas. And that for me was like vocabulary and things. I need to be, 
I need to be working on it. And I wasn't reading enough. I'm still not. Reading is difficult to get back into as an adult when you haven't done it in years. <laughs> and, you, and it just takes so much more time than movies and TV than, yeah. to absorb stories. But it's a different medium and I really want to read more. So I was like, if I make it content, <laughs> if I read yeah. Yeah, and make content out of it, I'm forcing myself <laughs> yeah. to actually do it. So that's how it started. I started reading books and then I started, and then I started reading the, um, the D&D books and like just reading the novel, the, the manuals and the... Um, and the campaign modules and stuff that, that come out. Uh, yeah, I, I I started reading and uh, and then it sometimes it goes on to poetry. Like if it's Shakespeare Day, I'll read a few Shakespeare poems or something and and release those on Shakespeare Day. Or I did the same for like Edgar Allan Poe Day and all right. that. Because yeah. in addition to broadening your horizons and, you know, introducing you to different styles and even like you say, just words you haven't <laughs> heard or used before. Yeah. Uh, it also ties back into the things that got you uh, excited about D&D in the first yeah. place. Storytelling, Storytelling, acting, performing, mm-hmm. yeah. all that. Yeah, um, silly voices. <laughs> exactly. Well, that was oh. one of the things that, that I really liked was... Um, could, it, I'm going to go back to the Dan Harmon one. They, sure. they, when they were playing, uh, a lot of the characters would say, I pick up the pen or I... Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, speaking they're in first person speaking about first their character. Person. But then I saw what you were doing and you were like it was your acting, acting coming it, through yeah. and you were giving them characters and you were giving them like voices and things like yeah. that and you have this wonderful video which I, I gotta recommend to anybody on your YouTube where you go through like how to work out different accents oh my accent like, like, different yeah people really like that your, with, your, with your throat and, and like I gotta say like as an Irish person when I heard the, like it starts off with what's the difference between an Irish accent and a Scottish accent right. and I thought oh here we go. This, 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 <laughs> this rarely, is a yeah, I say, David Letterman joke. I, I would say, uh, yeah, I would say like ninety-five percent of the time this doesn't go well, and then you start talking about it, and your Irish <laughs> accent was excellent. Well, thank you. You very had much. this thing where, like, I think the, a, a lot of problem with accents is. Um, it, it's the it's the the different dialects yeah. of an accent and and especially with with um, you get it in England as well you yeah got, like oh, lots yeah, of different dialects accents in England. And, and it's the same in Ireland but yeah. but you managed to like you've, you 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 spoke in one dialect I would say I would say you've got a Leinster accent Leinster yeah yeah so and it was I, really good for a little while I was typecast as the Irish actor right, in, yeah. in Auckland like, oh, right, yeah. I I had a job on uh, our um, sitcom our sort of what's it called like uh, Shortland Street it's a soap opera yeah um i had a job on that as an irishman um and then very shortly after i had a job as an irishman in a comedy series called go girls um oh yeah i know and so i so i was an irishman for a while and on go girls the writer came up to me at like three episodes in or something and said um i'm just trying to think uh i'm writing some dialogue for like two episodes from now and i'm wondering do you have a, a name for like that you call the police like a slang name that you call the police in ireland and i was like I'm not actually Irish, yeah, yeah. but I, but it's because I've been putting it on between takes because I I think the the most important key for an accent is consistency. Mm. You right. don't worry about individual sounds that you're making because everybody has like you listen to a thousand different Irishmen, you're going to hear a thousand different voices, right? Because everybody has got slight different influences on their maybe their parents weren't both from Ireland, or maybe mm-hmm. they maybe they grew up in Cork and then they moved to Dublin. That's right. Or maybe they have spent a, a month on semester in Spain or something. Everybody's got a slight different influence. Maybe they've spent their whole life in the same village, but their friend 
has that same influence on their accent and through them by proxy they've got an influence on their accent everybody's got slight differences but everybody is consistent in their ac- in their own accent absolutely so and I, and I think that's what i found most impressive about it like you your irish accent is consistent yeah so i so i focused on consistency more than anything else when i was practicing the irish for that i i put it on when i was doing my job at the time at a cinema uh, and i talked to, my proudest moment was i was giving somebody a ticket at the cinema um and uh, and they started talking to me in in an irish accent i was like oh shit yeah and i and like the 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 non-confident part of me was like drop it and i was like no fuck that i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm going for it yeah so i i continued i committed to it and they were like oh where are you from and i was like uh dublin and they were like all right which which part i'm from dublin and i was like oh here we go and i was like i don't know enough about dublin geography but every every big city has a a river so i was like just south of the river and and they were like oh good i'm uh, and they were like i'm from north of the river you're so right you do have a south side accent <laughs> there you go. They goes on oh, from north of the north of the river, and and then uh, and I think from memory I was proud of it because they had actually mentioned that I sounded like I was from Dublin before I mentioned yeah, Dublin or something. I would say so that I was as like, well. Thank I'm, God, like, you, you nailed it because a north side Dublin accent is different to a south side Dublin, right. very different. Right, and you have a south side Dublin <laughs> accent. Go. That is great. I uh, love it, Rob. I wanted to ask about: uh, Do you have any particular um, approach to doing voices for Dungeons and Dragons characters? Uh, yeah, I. Th- I th- Firstly, it's not necessary. Like a lot of people are put off by the idea of like, oh, I'm not good. I don't, I'm, I don't have the confidence to do it, or I'm not good at doing voices, um, or I'm not consistent with it, or whatever. You don't need to. There's a million different ways to put on a personality or a different to to embody a new character than than your voice. Um, and that's your mannerisms, the speed at which you speak, the the vocabulary you choose to use, uh, all sorts of different. Like you can just think of the status of the person and think how they would talk. And that's kind of my go-to for doing a voice is I first think about what's like, it's like saying like treating a symptom rather than the, the the actual cause of something. Like you think a a level deeper and you go, what is causing the person to have that voice? Is it, is it their status, their, their um, wealth or whatever? And, and then you think about that. And I usually visualize something like a crown if I'm thinking about someone regal and it automatically straightens up my spine and I, and I start to maybe lower the, uh, lower the larynx a little or I, or I start to uh, enunciate a little more or something. And it, it just having a single visual token for me, uh, if it's a farmer, maybe I'll picture them in a field like covered in mud and in the middle of a work day. And suddenly I'm suddenly I'm like, I'm not worrying about my uh, my bloody, what I'm, whether I'm saying my teas or not, because yeah. it doesn't really matter to me. I'm, I'm working for my next loaf of bread. Um, and just having a visual reminder of who that character is is probably the the go to, mm. uh, and then as I say, going through my uh, going through my YouTube channel accent <laughs> accent stream that I that I did for several hours, um, and you can also ch- tune into my Twitch and I do accent streams from now uh, now and again, and you can follow along with me. There's also is a that reason- something that you were because like you you've clearly been trained. I, uh, I am to a voice use actor, your yeah. voice, yeah. right? Um, but before you got like like formal I, training, I, were you growing always up in, good at growing voices? up in England helps because there are so many different voices, yeah. and you grow up taking the piss out of everybody else. So <laughs> if, right. you're, if you're doing a, a joke about scouts, mate, you're going to yeah. put on a scouts accent to take the piss out of them, and then you can sort of bring that back a little. Um, or like Cockneys, mate. Or, I'm from up north in uh, the UK, from Yorkshire, and uh, so you take the piss out of people from down south. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and then they in turn take the piss out of us Yorkshire folk. Um, so yeah, everybody's sort of ribbing on each other and that helps. Uh, you obviously, everybody takes every opportunity given to rib on the French. (laughs) So you're putting on French accents for your jokes and things. Doing your Inspector Clouseau. Clouseau. It's fun because it doesn't sound French at all. All the other (laughs) French actors in the movie are like, pardon? Um, 
Uh, your accent streams, are they, like, you exploring and talking about accents? Or are they you practicing an accent by Bit being both. an accent? Bit of both. I used to have... I, do I still have it? I don't remember. I used to have a uh, redemption on my channel. So on Twitch, by watching passively, you're earning channel points, uh, which you can then redeem to make the performer do something. It's like kind of busking or whatever. Um, and you'd be like, oh, do that song. Um and I used to have one that was redeem an accent and it was a good way of me practicing that. So uh, people made a, a habit of it with my community of trolling me as much as they can. That's kind of the, the, the community vibe that I've cultured over the years of people trolling on me. Um, and so people made it a a a a, uh, a goal of find some accents that he's really bad at. Right. <laughs> and so they'd be like, Geordie. I'd be like, oh, I admit, oh, I wasn't going to write slap for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not good at Geordie. And then uh, and then eventually they settled on like the Scandinavian accents. I cannot, for the life of right. me, do mm. Norwegians, Swedish, Finnish. I can't do them. Um, it gets difficult uh, when you're dealing with characters who don't speak English as their first language, mm, mm. right? Because then, like, like we were saying with the French, with the right. Inspector Clouseau, you know, yeah. like everybody says, oh, yeah, that's what a French accent yeah. is, but we don't really know, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you take the most popular character from pop culture who vaguely represents right. that area <laughs> yeah. and you're like, yeah, that's that it. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's fun. I do uh, accents on those accent redemption streams when I do them eventually. It's uh, it's a, it's often just talking about voice work and how I approach them. Uh, I'll take a couple of specific examples of characters that I've done. There's a there's a famous one that everybody hates and a lot of people are going to turn off now. It's, it's a character from the Viva the Dirty series who's a giant frog. And he was raised, he was just a, a real frog. And then some witch gave him the ability to speak. And now he's going to speech therapy lessons <laughs> to try and work out with his frog anatomy how to speak in human voice. And it's a love it or hate it voice because everybody in the comments is like, oh, God, it, oh, it's, it likes like fingernails on a chart. I hate it. Hate, uh, King, King a lot Conrad. of tongue in there. It makes sense, a lot though. Of Frogs have really yeah. big, big tongues. Big, big right? tongue, yeah. Um, so, I, so for things like that, I'm thinking about the the uh, the jowly nature of it and like trying to loosen up my cheeks and things. So I've got this sort of like a... All of the plosives are a little mm. bit more, a little bit more wet. <laughs> Thank God we got the plosive <laughs> yeah, mics. Exactly. Um, so I'll go through a stream like that and talk about those voices and the and break them down in the individual things that I'm doing with that voice. Another love it or hate it voice was a wolf that was like a um, a, a predator, a, a big boss kind of a mini boss. Um, and he was called Wither, and uh, it's it. In the comments, I discovered that it did certain things to certain people, mm -hmm. made a lot of people thirsty for Wither, um, because I drop it right down, and I growl, and he's got this sort of confident, predatory voice, Wither. And a lot of people in the comments were like, "Who with <laughs> You could, you could, uh, you could uh, get it's me." It's almost approaching ASMR. Like if you're yes. listening to this with your headphones, with it right in your ear. And so, yeah, you're either welcome or I apologize. Um, and so, in those streams, I'll talk about those voices, and then I'll give, I'll open it up to people to say, like, "Give me some, give me some of the voices to try." And I will go onto a, a website called the International Dialect of English Archive. Uh, really good uh, source. A really good source of uh, all these different dialects. Exactly what it says on the tin. It is a, an archive of all the English dialects. You can go by continent and then by country and then by region within that country, and then it's got like three or four at least. Wow. Um, this is a, 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 a 24 year old man from South Africa, uh, and then you click on his profile kind of thing, and it says uh, this entry, uh, the, sub, information about the entry, and it says 
the guy spent two years uh, studying abroad in France. His mother is from Germany, blah, blah, blah. And then it's got like a an excerpt of him reading a script and then you can listen to it. And the script that he's reading is called Comma Gets a Cure. And it was specifically written by, um, um, what are they called? Uh, linguistic um, professors and things to include all of the different vowel sounds and consonant sounds in the English language. So you can listen out. If you're struggling with your accent, you're, you're like, my O's aren't sounding, are sounding weird. Whenever I say I'm going ho- I'm going home it doesn't sound right in the accent so you listen through the script for that sound and you can play it over and over again and be like oh here's a native right. speaker speaking it wow that's, uh, it's a really good source awesome. for all all voice actors or anybody who wants to learn accents i'm actually on there and i didn't even realize it until years later some uh, really? voice teacher at drama school had recorded me doing a script that i didn't know what it was for and then later on when i started studying it i was like this script sounds familiar uh, and I went, I think I'm on this website. And sure you, enough, I found myself on the They didn't ask you to sign of... anything or no. <laughs> just went in and did it. <laughs> um, I found uh, um, an easy mistake to make. Uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll share this for anyone who's interested in maybe getting into D&D is um, part of the fun is playing a character. And it's very tempting to want to do a big voice yeah. or a silly voice or something. That you can't maintain. You've got to keep in mind that you're <laughs> going to be playing this game for usually three or four hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've tr- I've once or twice done a, um, a funny voice for a one shot or a yeah. small campaign and you can squeak by but generally gonna, squeak by you, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be talking like this for three hours Alvin and the Chipmunks um, I, I, I've done it before but I did Vincent Price for a haunted house campaign <laughs> it was very fun but how do you do this for seven hours <laughs> um, it's going to get very difficult most of the time these days uh, our campaign is a mix some people just don't do voices at all but you can tell through context yeah that's perfectly okay like I want to stress that like if you want to be the sort of person who speaks about your character in third person mm. that is fine you can mm. say oh uh, Danny goes to the barmaid and asks for a drink that's fine you yeah, can do play that. Your own there's some way. people play, who play don't even way. like yeah like you say they don't role play dialogue because they don't feel confident yeah. doing that they just go my character that's, that, that's asks what, for this that's why there are certain roles in the game for that's called intimidation deception performance persuasion you can be like oh I'm gonna go over to the barmaid and see if she can give us a room for free and the dungeon master might be like oh how does that go and you'd be like can I just roll persuasion for it and see how it goes right okay, okay. Uh, my, my very first character was a intelligent wizard he was a, a gnome wizard uh, who did uh uh, no, he was a monk. He was a monk. Uh, but he was meant to be very intelligent. And I was new playing as a character. Our dungeon master was mm. also fairly new. So none of us knew how to make this character smarter than yeah, I was. Because yeah. the, the thing is, to remember is, I don't ask the barbarian to actually break open a door if he wants to break open a door in character. So why should I expect the non not very charismatic uh, person at the table to act out an 18 charisma and know know all the right words to yeah. seduce this person this guard that he's trying to seduce or whatever like no roll for it and then I see how it goes roll first then act it out is how, is my rule of thumb for any uh-huh. charisma and intelligence and oh, stuff okay. be like because then the dice are telling you the how the interaction goes and then you can role play it however you like so if in that example with an intelligent wizard or whatever or an intelligent character that's that maybe is above your level of uh, academic prowess I'd go, okay, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to I'm trying to call on some moment in history that this might be applicable to this moment. I'll go a roller history check. Uh, oh, it was a six. Okay, act out how a six intelligence check looks in this moment. What, is it, what does it look like? And you go, ah, oh, the Battle of Simpsonbury was, uh, <laughs> you know, and then you can act yeah. it out. Whereas it's like, 
Oh, I rolled a, a 24 with my modifiers and everything. Oh, 24 is exceptional. That's a really good roll. Um, <clears throat> okay, so you you call on information of uh, the, the Battle of Simpsonbury and, <laughs> and the DM might give you the information and be like, okay, you can role play around it or we can just say just that you've on. got the information right. yeah, and, yeah. and move on. Oh, that's cool. Um, that tends to be how I do it rather than allowing uh, allowing the players who are really charismatic to outshine those who are a little more, more shy maybe Sure. by saying, oh, I'm... Cause, it, that leads to people dump statting their charisma, and dump stat is a, a term for when you put your lowest statistic in in the in in whichever of the six categories that you don't want. Wizards often dump stat their strength because they don't need a strong character if they're a smart character, and barbarians dump stat their intelligence because they don't need a smart right. character if they can hit things. Um, so a lot of min maxers, people who uh, minimize and maximize and optimize their character as much as possible, um, of which I am one. I'm not dis- <laughs> disparaging that lifestyle. I like to min max myself. But min-maxers will often like dump stat something like charisma because they're like, I know, I'm, I'm a, I'm an actor, I'm a role player, I can, I can act like I'm really charismatic, right. and and then you're like, no, you, if you're performing your character properly, you should be acting like you've got a six in charisma, right. which is really low, and yeah. you should be acting like you don't know the right words to use, and you are constantly insulting people without realizing it, and you're not good in social situations, and. That sort of thing. That's when you get into meta gaming. Meta gaming. You know, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm which is using my real world knowledge to. Uh, Help me win the game in, in a way that my character the, yeah. wouldn't. Yeah. yeah. Like, so like, this is, this like is... if you split the party and one person in another room gets in trouble and then the person in the other room goes, oh, I'm going to go into the other room to help him. It's like, you don't know he's in trouble. <laughs> you're right, in a different exactly. room. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So um, character sheets, when you're building yeah. your character, like when you start a game, what does a character sheet look like? Um, well, uh, there's a lot of different versions of the character sheet designed to for different minds and different people uh, think di- different information on there is important so they'll design them in a such a way as like this stuff I think is important I'm going to put it on the first first sheet right there in big bold letters uh, but generally the most important stuff are your six stats strength dexterity constitution intelligence wisdom and charisma every monster in the game every character in the game every NPC in the game they have those six stats right um, and they usually range between one and twenty one is uh, you're basically dead <laughs> 10 is uh, 10 and 11 is like average commoner kind of abilities right. uh, and 20 is demigod level okay. so if you have a 20 strength you are the strongest person in the world probably right um if you have a and that, can- will, that will affect the way you're going to play your game. yes exactly yeah. Yeah. and should yeah exactly and if you have a one in strength you're you have a muscle wasting disease and you're basically <laughs> right. unable to lift up your own head um so that's that's kind of the range that's the main main thing of this the the character sheet then you've got your skills so you might have down that you are particularly good at stealth um right. uh, you're particularly good at uh, animal handling so if if in the game you come across a pig and it's a wild pig and your quest it's like a first level thing and the, the wild quest is the farmer wants you to control his unruly pigs uh you might the, the dungeon master might ask you to roll a, a wisdom based animal handling check and so you roll you you add you roll a d20 a 20 sided dice you add your wisdom stat and then you add your uh, proficiency bonus if you're proficient in animal handling if you're not proficient in animal handling if that's not a skill on your sheet you just add your wisdom bonus right uh, i got to say when i started playing D&D the character sheet was pretty intimidating uh, uh, as well as the rulebook, because the rulebook is very large. <laughs> yeah. you, your version well, is uh, tabbed yes. front to back, yeah, with, yeah. Uh, you know, to help you find what you need to find at a moment's notice. Um, once I started using um, a very popular online resource, D&D Beyond, uh, which automates quite a lot of those things. Yeah. So when you have, you know, um, a magic, if you collect a magic object that's going to affect one of your skills with a bonus, it will apply that automatically. Um, it, it just helps lighten the load. You don't have to do quite as much thinking, which, you know... As with anything, there's drawbacks and there's positives because sometimes you'll forget 
oh, I'm holding this magical object yeah. uh, that is improving my natural skill. And if I get rid of it, why did that skill drop? I forgot that that yeah, was attached. Right. But personally, for um, for someone like me who is more in it for the role-playing than the, uh, the game-playing, uh, it's a big help. Having it all online, I don't have to carry papers with me, pencil and paper, erase things. It's just, oh, the numbers are all there digitally. You know, right. I click this thing and it rolls the dice for me and it generates a number. And the I go, oh, that was the only role. problem with that is if you don't put the effort into understanding why those things are happening that way, then something in the game will modify it at some point inevitably. Like yep. you get hit by a, a, there's a monster in the game called a rust monster. And if it ever touches you and you're wearing anything metal, your armor class, it starts to go down. Your armor goes down because it's rusting now. Um, and the more it hits you, the more chance that your armor just disappears entirely and you're now just naked on the naked fighting this monster um so if it, if you get hit by the rust monster and your armor class decreases and you don't understand why you think why the mechanics of the game are actually working what do these numbers actually mean if you've not put the work into thinking through that character sheet and like oh this is how i've gotten to a plus seven it's a plus three from strength and a plus four from my proficiency bonus or whatever or it's a plus three from strength a plus two from my proficiency bonus and a plus two because i got a magic weapon like if you don't know how those numbers are actually generated to to at least some degree you're going to have a hard time if anything modifies any of your stuff and you're, you're not going to know why. Right. And it's also frustrating for the Dungeon Master to be three years into a campaign and ask you to roll a particular check and you go, how do I do that again? We've been playing this for three years. <laughs> Put some effort into learning how to actually, how the game works. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing is, you know, like I say, the, the gameplay was not attracted me to the game, but it is a core component and you do have to have respect for your, uh, your Dungeon Master, your Game Master, because... Uh, in the case of someone who's not a professional like Rob, often you're just asking one of your friends, can you take time out of your week to make fun for us? <laughs> yeah. It takes a lot of effort, takes a lot of time. Yeah. So the least you can do is be a competent player who knows the rules, knows what your character's abilities are. You know, you're ready for the game. You're not uh, in game agonizing over what spells to swap out come dawn. You know? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is it a case that like someone doesn't get invited back to a game because oh, they're yeah. just not? Yeah, well. yeah, it happens all, 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 all the time. time. Everybody, you know, it's you, not so you, much a stigma. Like it's maybe a, it just you didn't gel with the game. I mean, it's obviously as much as as an uncomfortable situation as social situations can be. Like right. you, you, like you have to have that awkward conversation. Usually, you you try and have a check in session, as I do. Like to be like, has everybody enjoying the game? Are we still gelling? Is this, you know, what direction do we want to take it? When that happened in that, when this X happened in this recent game, how did we feel about that? Is that sort of thing that we want to avoid? And with those check in sessions. You, you know, you're talking to your players. Yeah. The biggest advice that people, because I have people coming into my chat all the time being like, first advice for Dungeon Masters, blah, blah, blah. And I always say the same forwards to the point where all of the chat that have been in my chat for a while will start to just parrot it back to them before that, before I even see it in the chat. Talk to your players. Simple right. forward, advance, uh, forward advice. Talk to your players. You've got to you've got to be open and honest and communicative. Same in this as in every other aspect of your life. Open, honest communication is key to everything. Mm. Relationships, uh, work relationships, colleagues, and that you just just be open, honest, and communicative with your players. If something has riled you up at the end of a session about a, a, the, a way that one of your players was acting, you need to talk to them. Obviously, you that that is a skill. It is a skill that you can get better at. We've had uh... knowing to take them aside rather than doing it, calling them out in front of people. Right. There's skills. Right, right. There's there's techniques and skills and trips tips tips and tricks to being a better communicator and there are a million podcasts and things you can listen to that help you with relationship advice and communication advice and stuff and those help in every aspect of your life but yeah talk to your players you need to take them aside and say um 
I'm noticing that you're fidgeting a lot in the game. Is that because you've you're, maybe you're neurodivergent and you need like a fidget toy and that's actually helping you focus? Or is it because you're bored? Is it because you're you've got a lot going on in your life at the moment? Just talk to them. Know what's going on for your players. Know that know that like oh, I'm not I'm not bored. I'm enjoying the game. I'm just I've got a lot on my mind at the moment because yeah. my you know my mortgage reevaluation is coming up next week. Whatever it is. Um, and so talk to them. Maybe they go. Yeah, I'm just finding that there's no combat at the moment, and all I can do is combat because I'm a barbarian with a hammer and I've got nothing else to do. So and then you're like, okay, would it help if I gave you some like, would you would you want random combat? I wasn't giving you random things that didn't mean anything because I thought that would be boring. It's like, no, I like squishing stuff for no reason. Like, right. I, I just just throw some giant rats at us every session, and I can take a couple of rounds to kill some giant rats, and I'll be happy. Cat so you a couple of rats, I sleep good at night. Yeah, so you talk you talk to your players, you learn about what they want and how they want how they like to play and what they need from the game and. And hopefully, by doing that, you get you negate the need to ever have a guy not come back to the table. Right. Yeah. But of course, it's not going to like. Sometimes you will take a person aside and talk to them, and you'll say, "Would you mind if you try and do this in the games? Because it's I find it disrespectful when you're not blah blah blah." And then you have that conversation again and again and again. Eventually, you're going to have to be like, "Look, I need you to do this. Or are you not playing with us anymore?" Right. 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 It's it's going to happen. How many games have you got going on at the moment? Oh boy! Uh, <laughs> and how do you keep it all in your head, or do you not do keep I? It all like you just do have... I? Sometimes it slips out, and I go, "Crap, that was from the other game." <laughs> um, no, I, I'm I'm pretty good at it. Uh, I've got a decent memory for it. Uh, I also keep word documents for all of the different campaigns and the characters and the things that are happening in each campaign. Um, how many am I running at the moment? I'm, off the top of my head, I want to say about five or so. Uh, but, you know, it's a measure of, like, some of them haven't played for months. Um, a couple, I've got a GM for Hire game that I'm running an ongoing campaign, but they prefer a game every two or three months because it fits in with their life sc- schedule. Sure. So I do have to keep notes on that one because otherwise I will come back to it three months from now and go, where were we? What were we yeah, doing? Yeah. What was your story? And usually when we start getting the recap through, I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, you're the character. You were the character with the the chocolate frog, and the yeah, okay, uh, yeah, I remember. Um, that. One thing our dungeon, one of our dungeon masters uh, has done for our campaigns is they ask us to recap every yeah, week. I do that uh, because well, it means that the players have to be engaged yep. in keeping track of what's going on. But it's also a, a kind of a reverse diagnostic tool for the game, yes. the dungeon master, because they go, ah, this is what they're focusing on. This is what's yeah. important. Oh, they or didn't. They maybe didn't, I they haven't didn't highlighted. T- something. Yeah, they didn't remember at all the entire thing I did about the glowing longsword that one of them picked up. They've forgotten that entirely, and that was a big plot point. I'm going to need an NPC to call attention to that again this session. Uh, they've clearly, oh, they've clearly focused on the whole thing with the farmer that was just improvised on the spot because I didn't expect them to go to a farm. <laughs> maybe they enjoyed that sort of style of gameplay, and I'll put in more of those side questy things that they can do. I'm Asking a, your players to recap is really useful. I've I've DM'd one uh, campaign and it was it was all just off the cuff because I was intimidated by the book. So I was like, I'm just going to make stuff up every week. Bad way to do it. <laughs> um, but I in like a climactic battle uh, between um, a magical wizard at the top of a tower. I just mentioned for flavor that there was a cat. The players <laughs> were just convinced <laughs> that there was something about this cat. You wouldn't have mentioned <laughs> it. It wasn't, it wasn't important. <laughs> It was, it was world building. It was just setting the scene. It was, they were, ju- they were chasing flavor. after this cat. They were casting all their fireballs out. Like, it's their familiar. It's their horcrux. We've got to kill this cat. And I was like, there's a big wizard with lightning coming out of their hands, guys. But, yeah, but he's too intimidating, which means there must be some other secret back door, like a, a little video too game. obvious. Yeah. Um, Rob, you and I have only played one game together because you're a professional DM. You're very busy. <laughs> and I have a, I'm lucky enough to have a group that plays together every week. Mm. But it was fun. It was a one-off you. with you, me, and Tim, who you mentioned Aphantasia. Tim has Aphantasia. Oh, right. Yeah, I've forgotten that, picture actually. Things. Um, 
were we incredible incredible so... to me like because i don't understand it I've, yes. I've, as as it goes like it's everything in life it is a spec is a spectrum there are people who are not all the way to not being able to visualize anything mm-hmm. but they can barely visualize anything more than like shapes and i'm the other end of the spectrum where if you tell me anything i can literally picture it in my i can pick i can make a tyrannosaurus rex riding a tira- uh, f- f- you know driving a ferrari eating I'm a rotating right it in now, my mind and then i can rotate it and i can pull it apart like a blueprint um and so for me it's so foreign a concept to think that people can't visualize anything at all my mm. my girlfriend actually uh, has aphantasia um but it's it's so bizarre that I that I can't understand how people can get into like storytelling and and an- animation and things mm. and be so good at it, yeah, without yeah, being it's... able to visualize it because that's the only way that I can describe a scene in Dungeons and Dragons. You walk into a tavern, I have to picture what the tavern looks like, and then I can describe what it ta- what it looks like. Okay, it's about thirty feet to the front, and it's kind of on an oblique angle from you. It's mostly made of wood, but there's like a marble countertop, and I can picture the person behind the bar. I've just made the whole scene for myself, and then I can describe it. And you ask me like, how big is the room, or how far away is the goblin? I can keep that in my head and go, oh, I I can visualize it, so I can describe it. Mm. To not be able to do that, I wouldn't know how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't know how to describe the story. You, you, uh, I'd recommend going back and listening to uh i think it's only our second episode with tim and we talk all about it because it is fascinating it's a completely different way uh that your mind has to work mm. particularly in the visual arts because you're not picturing something and then making that with your hand mm. you are doing it all with your hand and your and your your thoughts yeah. but they're not visual it's it's, it's mm. it is hard to imagine i have seen images where it's like well uh, put yourself on the scale uh, but and it's between a perfectly rendered apple yeah. and then one that's just like vaguely like impressionist, and one like that's a, a blob, yeah. one that's just a color, and then nothing. <laughs> nothing you know, all. everyone's everyone's somewhere on there. Yeah. Um, a question I was interested in was: uh, Do you do you ever get to play for fun now that you're I, made at your job? I do. Yes. So I uh, not really just like with no cameras running because everything is content. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but I am currently a player in a campaign on a another streamer's channel, GM Workshop, and we're playing through a campaign called Dragonlance, um, which is a particular setting in D&D where like, the gods have abandoned the world and the, and dragons haven't existed for centuries, but then you're, you're playing through the story at the point at which dragons are coming back sort of thing, and so everybody's discovering them and be like, oh, I think I've read about those. Um, and it's a fantastic campaign. For the, the kind of gimmick of that is that the five other, uh, me and the four other uh, cast members, the ones that um, are all, all streamers in our own right, uh, we decided that we were going to play siblings. So the entire party has that connection already because one of the problems you can find in a game, especially if you're not, you've are not you not played with those people before, is like the first couple of sessions are like, why should I care about you? Why, why would I be traveling with you? And you need a reason to stick together as a party. And we were like, we'll hit the ground running with that as being a we're all siblings and so we uh, and so we've got a, a, an older sister an older brother twins and then a younger brother and we've all just really adopted those dynamics we yeah. we, we had a little time before that session uh, before we started going over some like uh, backstory elements and like role-playing individual scenes of things that happened when we were younger and stuff just so we had like things to draw on and memories and ways to interact and people have really recommended uh, com- commended us for it because they've said like in in the troves people always talk about that campaign as being like they really feel like they're all siblings like wow. mm-hmm. they really feel like they've got that family dynamic and stuff and they we all have individual like hatreds of each other yeah. and, and things <laughs> that, that don't drive you apart because if you're an adventuring party that's only just met because the king has randomly put you all together and sent you off on a quest your classic four and you people hate each walk other. into a tavern exactly all four four of you walk into a tavern and somebody sends you on a quest together if you start to hate each other for any reason 
reason, there's, you're going to have to really work hard as a player to be like, why would my character stay here? Yeah. Uh, t- my uh, The character I was telling you about from Barovia, him and one of the other playable characters uh, got together. Some uh, some ghosts possessed them, and they were siblings, and so they were holding hands for comfort. And then when the ghosts left, we're like, no, we're holding hands. <laughs> I guess we'll keep doing this. <laughs> and uh, that quickly became, uh, well, that's a good reason to stay together. All right, it's time for a... Uh, Horror landscape wedding. Oh, beautiful. Do you <laughs> nice. hear the werewolves howling on the full moon? <laughs> awesome. Um, Mike was telling us that uh, in one of your most recent games, it's the Mike pod, um, <laughs> that uh, his character and a non-playable character run by you yeah. uh, were having a romance, and he was having a little trouble getting into the mindset. By of romancing like, me. Yeah. Just last night. Yep. Yeah, just last night. He um, he had this... Um, He's had this character that he gave me the backstory a long time ago that he is he was like one of the king's guards and he was sent off to go on some quest um, and to justify him starting the, the adventure at level one we said yes you were the king's guard and you had all these abilities and you were a good fighter and stuff but you got attacked as part of an ambush a minotaur and a gang, gang of bandits attacked you and hurt you really badly and so he was because he was in recovery and his shoulder hurts and stuff a lot of his features disappeared and he's slowly been working his way back up the levels throughout the campaign to the point that he was originally at which was a, a fun way to do it but because he was the king's guard some of his backstory had like a romance between him and the king's daughter the princess um and so for the entire thing, time that we've been playing about two two or so years for that campaign i think um uh we've been talking about the princess and she's been sending him uh, like magic messages to his head every so often love notes and things and then just in last night's game she finally arrived where he was and because he had a little bit of downtime wow. and i had to i had to play the princess and he was playing him and and so we were having this like romantic scene and i i in my games i always fade to black before like the sex scenes because sure. I, I don't want to be sitting around a table of me and five guys d- describing in <laughs> right. v- virtual uh, you know in great detail uh, the graphics of sex um so i i had her like walk into the bedroom with him and and her handmaid was there like making sure that everything was safe in this room because she's the princess eventually uh, she's like flirting with him and the handmaid's like could you wait for me to get out of the room jesus kessie and she walks out of the room and then i say uh she turns to you and say and, and he was talking about his his, his weaponry at that point and, I, and and she says he was. <laughs> yeah and then uh, and then uh, i had the princess go um so have you picked any uh, picked up any new uh, things you can do with your weapon and then i faded to black and mm-hmm. nice. moved on to somebody else at the table right what are you doing while he's in the room with her and so um and then yeah today he was like i found it really hard to um, be romantic with rob and i was like rude <laughs> unnecessary and rude i find i'm a very romantic person actually well it's uh it it goes to show what a uh, you know good actor and storyteller you are. That for you, it's just as simple as this is what the character would mm. do. This mm-hmm. is a romantic scene. Yeah, I can put myself. I have in to scene. play that. I've got to put that awkwardness aside. I've had that once or twice where um, where sh- me and Mike have shot um, reference for um, for animation. Right. And like, there's one where he was playing the mum to me, the daughter who was having like gender identity issues. And we're right, like, right. Wow, this is really weird. This is very, this is very different from who we I are and our relationship. But you know, it's if we we need the reference to be good, so we've got to play it straight. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't undermine it with comedy. Can't undermine it. No, right. I I have always found myself really able to put myself in other people's positions. It's a re- it's one of the reasons that I can cry on cue, and people often like, how do you actually generate tears? And are you thinking of something really sad from your life? I'm like, no, I'm thinking of something really sad from this guy's life. He's, yeah, he's in a situation where he's at his, his wife's funeral. Like that's gonna make right. him cry. I put myself in that situation and think, how would I? How would it? How would I feel if I was at my wife's? 
and 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 then I just start to say the words that are written for me or the words that are coming to me if I'm improvising it or something and then suddenly you know the tears start it's Amazing. it's not an it's not an issue for me and it really does help with my Dungeons and Dragons characters because I can just put myself in that like one of the great things about it is that it's basically improv storytelling but it's not got the sort of uh, the the fear that I get from doing improv comedy and things because I, if as long as I know the world well enough, as long as I know what's happening and what the bad guy's plan is and what's going on with the the knights over here, the more prep I've done about the world in general, the more that I can improvise within that world because yeah. I just I don't have to improvise. I just I just think what would happen in this situation. Kind of use logic. Then. Yeah, I, I I use logic rather than improv. It doesn't right. feel it feels like I'm just allowing the story to come through me in a way. I'm not really airy fairy kind of guy, so I don't really like think about channeling a, another person or something. Mm. It is me doing it, um, but I just put myself in the situation of being. Let's say I'm I'm a candle maker and I've I'm, I'm working in my shop and I've got a family to feed and stuff and then some 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 people come in and they've been asking about uh, clues because there's, there was wax left at the scene and have you sold this thing and they're being really aggressive about it it doesn't take much for me to go how would I how would I react to them I'd probably be aggressive back and be like get the fuck out of my shop right yeah, yeah. you're following the logic of the world the character the scene yeah and it becomes clear well this is what would happen yeah you're I don't not, have to prepare pulling this, things I have, yeah I don't have to prepare who this guy is ahead of time and think how will he react and I don't have to prepare it like a choose your own ending book of being like if they come in aggressively he will act this way and if they come in you know trying to seduce him he'll act this way and I, I I don't think about it ahead of time because I allow it to happen in the moment. Yeah, I think it's amazing that like when you were studying acting and, mm. and, and working as an actor, yeah. you didn't know that this this, this whole thing outlet existed. existed. Mm-hmm. Nope. and it just fits so yeah. beautifully. And yeah, it's such it a really kind does. of a, um, I don't know a creative use of that skill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I say, like my fans often joke that my acting degree and my maths degree makes a Dungeons and Dragons degree because yeah. it is the, the storytelling part of it is a huge part of it. Um, but you can get that from being a player of Dungeons and Dragons. The thing that you need as a as a DM as well is a slightly more analytical way of approaching the game and understanding the b- mechanics and right, understanding right. the balance of the game. Because if you're going to be making things for the game, which mm-hmm. is called homebrew, and it's a big part of Dungeons and Dragons, is coming up with new weapons that don't exist in the game and coming up with new spells and new curses and things and the dungeon master has to come up with all sorts of fun things to keep it fresh and interesting uh, and homebrew things for the game and if you're going to do that you're probably going to benefit a lot by having an understanding of how the mechanics work because if you in the first game give a player a a plus three longsword that adds a three to every time they roll you and you don't realize that plus three is the equivalent of a legendary weapon like in 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 the in the game mechanics when you're rolling a dice that can swing from one to twenty a plus three is a huge buff to that. That's a plus fifteen percent chance of hitting, um, which is going to swing a huge amount in, uh, of your battles. Like every battle that, that you, you put out for them is going to get steamrolled by the guy with the plus three longsword. Right. Uh, if you don't know that going in, then you haven't done the work of understanding the mechanics and the and the balance of the game and things. So having that analytical mathematical mind um, definitely helps with fantastic. Just uh, sort of supplementing the roleplay mind. Um. I don't want us to go uh, over time because you've got a busy schedule to keep. <laughs> but uh, before we wrap up, uh, everyone at this table has now seen the Dungeons & Dragons movie, Honor yes. Among Thieves. Twice. <laughs> um, at, 
as well you might. I'm excited to go back and see it again. Um, should we just quickly do some uh, non-spoiler uh, impressions and thoughts of yeah. the film? Yeah. Non-spoiler impressions of the film is that I was really impressed. I, In preparation for it, I did a stream with a friend uh, called Movie Nights. Uh, K-N-I-T-S. Um, yeah, cute. Movie Nights, and we did a movie-watching pod, kind of like uh, Mystery Science th- 3000 or whatever. Um, we, we watched the original Dungeons & Dragons movie from 2000. Mm-hmm. We watched the one that went straight to TV from 2005, and then we watched the one that went straight to DVD in 2012. I was shocked to learn that there were sequels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really bad movies, shockingly bad movies. Um, and I kind of went into this one with lower expectations because of it. I knew that it would be better than those, um, but I was really impressed. I think it make, I think it was a really good fantasy fantasy action movie. Even if you don't like Dungeons and Dragons or know anything about it. High fantasy action Which movie. is where I came at. And I'm, I'm not even that into fantasy. Yeah. I'm more of a science fiction yeah. guy. But I like fantasy uh-huh. just fine. It, it was such an entertaining movie. Mm-hmm. Like it was... You know, just it was high fantasy heist movie. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The characters were great. Yeah. And I think that's... Really well that, written. That's sort the, of the, the comedy hit in just the right amount. Yeah. Absolutely. It was... It, like a lot of movies, like especially some of the Marvel movies, they just undermine themselves with joke after joke after joke. Like, yes. And it's like, come on. It's, that, it's some... that attitude of you're undermining the world. It's like, in order to let everyone know that, you know, we're not nerds. They'll make yeah. joke about the situation. They'll be like, really? A wizard or something? Yeah. Whereas... With this movie, what I liked was that it was a, it wasn't just an action adventure. It, there were also scenes where it was the situation is comedic. Yes, they're taking it seriously, but what's happening is goofy yeah. and co- comical because it's uh, one thing going wrong after another. You know, um, they there were definitely bits where I could tell that uh, they had um, bent the rules of the gameplay, but I was like, that's completely in bounds mm-hmm. because you're making a film, you're yeah. telling a story, and every dungeon master will tweak the rules to suit one thing. One play. thing that I liked, um, with a couple of notable exceptions, one thing I liked about when they bent the rules of the game, when when in the moments where you're like, that's not how that works, they would often just like put a little throwaway line in there that would justify it and explain it within the rules of the game because anything is possible in Dungeons & Dragons but by the nature of the Dungeon Master having ultimate power over everything and can change any rules that they want as long as they have run that by the players and everybody knows otherwise you're a bad Dungeon Master Uh, make sure that everybody knows if you have changed any of the rules but uh, one example that's not a spoiler because it is in one of the trailers uh, for the, the thing is that uh, one of the characters, a sorcerer, uh, casts Speak With Dead to, um, to, to speak with a dead guy and learn some information. Um, and as soon in the scene where he goes, uh, oh, I can cast a spell that allows me to speak with dead, the dungeon master in me went, no, you can't. That's a cleric spell. Sorcerers don't get access to that spell. It's only a cleric thing. Um, and then in the scene, the very next scene, when they actually go to do it, he go, he, he just has the line, I've got a cleric token somewhere where I... And nice. boom, that, yeah, and nice. it leads into the next sentence. And it's like, that was all it took. I've got a cleric token somewhere. And then it's like, oh, it justifies it. Like I, as a dungeon master, could have easily noted hey there's no clerics in this party i need them to be able to speak with dead at some point so while you're looting the dungeon you find a token that allows you to cast and that's fine it's like homebrewed and justified and i thought that that was a really clever way of doing those things Mm -hmm. do you get the impression that the gate or the movie was based on a game that people they they did play the game the director and all of the cast did play dungeons and dragons ahead of time but i I don't think they 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 based the movie around that or all that that was just to understand what they were parodying and what they were right. what they were I, making I, a joke of. I saw a headline that was sort of trying to grab attention by going, uh, "The directors of the D and D film admit they just used the D and D world to tell their own story." But every D and D player I know sort of said, 
Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what you do that's with D&D. That's, that's, that's D&D what D&D is. D&D they is give not you a, a setting and then say, tell some stories. It's with not them. a series of novels with a plot that they're following. <laughs> it's, this is the world. And like you say, I thought the script was very smart in uh, the way that it brought in the D&D stuff. Like, yeah. if you've played the game and you recognize the name of this location yeah. I mentioned, you get to go, oh, I know what that is. <gasps> My characters have been there. <laughs> but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, stop the movie to go hey look at this remember this this little easter egg yeah i I think they 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 did well in that everybody i know who saw the movie who plays DD felt it was authentic Mm -hmm. yes and then at the same time it felt like i I, I didn't feel um like you know that that i was on the outside looking in like i it was just the the big difference big difference in this movie and the first three was that this one actually felt like a group of players playing D. &D. absolutely Uh, it felt like an ensemble piece which the first three movies didn't Mm -hmm. it felt like it was an actual like party you obviously still had chris pine as like quote unquote the main character but you you definitely felt like the others had like proper roles to play everyone got a chance to shine you know in combat in the plot and everyone got a little bit of a humanizing moment even if their character was sort of the druid was a little shafted by that I a feel little. like she didn't really get so much to flesh out the character. Not enough. She had like a call to adventure. You understood why she was going yeah. with the party. But yeah, you're right. But everybody else kind of got like a humanizing kind of a, or, you know, pers- also, personizing since they're not all humans. <laughs> if I had, if I had one complaint, uh, I wish that, um, I, I believe that she was, oh, except for the, the sorcerer was an elf. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a tiefling, which is, um, a race that is yeah, related like a, like to a demons. Devil, de- someone with devil in your background. Yes. Uh, I thought that, um, she I would have liked her to be a little more non-human. She didn't, she didn't look de- tiefling enough. That's no. still, uh, most people's complaint. And I don't know whether it was like, they don't want to, they don't want the added expense of putting her in full skin tone makeup mm-hmm. for the whole thing and making her look red skin. Yeah. Or maybe it's like a, avoiding, like worrying about like racial comments. If like, oh, you put her in red skin, have you? That's a, and it's like, oh, well, that's not. I just saw people going, just make her purple. Make yeah, her something make her that no one is. Something that no yeah. one is. Uh, although having said that, I once read um, uh, an article that was, um, that was, uh, complaining about uh, the main character in the musical Wicked, mm-hmm. uh, the green skinned witch of Oz, being an allegory for Jewish people, which right. I had never heard before. But apparently, like the whole concept of a hag with a witch and a big crooked nose is came about from anti-Semitism and things. So I was I've, like, well, that's opened my eyes. I would have been like, oh, green skinned, no problems with that because nobody's green skinned. It's like, no, that's Jewish. And I'm like, is it? The, the thing <laughs> is, if so, you... so if I was the writers, I'd be like, I don't want to make a purple skin because for all I know, that's going to be some comment on some culture that I, I didn't I realize. there's a lot of things that if you dig down deep enough, it's rooted in it's some rooted unfortunate in something, stereotype. Yeah. I've, I've ruined Mike's day a few times by reminding him. Did you know, you know, cowabunga, the fun, silly thing <laughs> that the Ninja Turtles say? That's um, mock Native American from like the Howdy Doody show. They brought on like a white actor wow. to this kid's Saturday morning show pretending and to be Native American how- and he'd say cowabunga. cowabunga. Yeah, right, exactly. Geez, right. I didn't know that. But but well, they've I, kind of dropped Kelbunga, haven't they? Well, I don't know. The thing is, I think most people like that's an interesting bit of trivia. But right. I think most people just think it's like the same as radical dude yeah, or whatever. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. something else that I just wanted to highlight before we wrap up about the D and D movie was I was really surprised and kind of tickled by the uh, practical effects. Like mm. when I think big blockbuster yeah. movie, which this surely is, I'm like, well, I'm just assuming everything's going to be done by state of the art mm. uh, computer generated imagery, and certainly some of it was characters that you know needed to be done that way were, and it looked great. Yeah. But in the very first scene, um, there's like this uh, uh, p- 
parole board, and one of them is a dragonborn, and he's got a big, big puppety dragon, dragon head. head. Yeah. His lip sync isn't quite perfect, but he's so charming. He's got yeah. a little monocle in his yeah. eye. What was his name? Uh, they kept uh, oh Jonathan, Jonathan. yeah <laughs> Jonathan, which was very D and D by the nature of often your DM will just be caught in the spur of the moment, being asked to improvise a name for a character that he hadn't thought of. Like, what's the name? So everybody's always asking for names. I go up to the town guard and he's like, "What's your name?" It's like you're not going to use this guy's name again. Don't <laughs> yeah. make me come up with a name on the spot. And so. Quite often there's this sort of running joke in D&D of like, they'll be called something like Simon. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> it's like, that's, oh, okay. And you'd be like, I, I panicked in the moment. His name is Jash. J- Josh? No, his name's Jash. Because I, I, I fantasified it. We were talking his to... His name's Jonathan. We were talking to Chelsea Fioretti uh, the other week about uh, Project Nought, uh, her graphic novel set in the future. And uh, one of the main characters' names, uh, they go in the book by Mars, but their their actual name is Methaniel. <laughs> like, is that a case if you just had to think of something in a meeting? <laughs> yeah, that's often the case. Like, every Dungeon Master has their go-tos. A uh, friend of mine, uh, Rackham, his go-to is Kevin. Everybody, everybody <laughs> <laughs> ended, up, ended up being called Kevin. Um, I think some of mine are all often like uh, Gareth and James and uh, Jeremy. I always tend to go for like G's and J's. They're all great cat names as well. <laughs> True. <laughs> if I, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna name drop a couple characters of mine that I think are funny. Uh, one was uh, Donald Ferrari. Just because Ferrari, I learned means Smith, so I was like, this is a name oh, that wow, would really? exist in a fantasy oh, world. Wow. And uh, one of my more recent characters who I'm excited to play more of when we get back to is snake hands <laughs> came up with the name first and then worked with the dm to uh build a character who has a pair of snakes for hands and it's like, okay what does that mean how can you attack uh he can do some low level poison damage when he uh, slashes at somebody um sometimes i start with the name and are, work you backwards. Yant- are you a yanti uh yes yeah, yes i'm yanti i'm trying to uh, so nightmares in the world for right. my god so that one day he can be manifest it's fun nice. playing I am, I've, I've got a character I haven't played in a long while uh, who's a gnome and in the D&D lore gnomes are really fascinated with names and they all, they, they get like a, a given name from both of their parents they get a given name from all of their grandparents if they grow up and they start having like a personality trait they'll get a nickname around that and they end up just like using them all and they'll and it says something in like the gnomish lore of the, the player's handbook something like um, they, if, they're, if they're interacting with uh, humans or civilized society they might they might restrict themselves to like 12 names or something <laughs> so my character is called tig dandel sparkle flash blinky warren bunders <laughs> but he's actually i actually wrote it out on my character sheet the other like 40 names that he's got so that if yep. i ever have to write it on a sheet or something i can actually bring it up oh, and reference it and he's got a little name tag that says call me and it's just like tra- trails off the end he's had to add things on the bottom of the <laughs> yeah. name tag uh simon it wouldn't <laughs> surprise me if at some point in your future, you play D and D because yeah, I think it's, it's something that would that you'd be really good at. I've, that you'd be. I, I've run D and D as a for a for a bunch of first timers here at Muck Putty. A huge swath of the Muck Putty uh, cast, as it were, um, have played uh, at least a one shot with me at some point. So maybe the next time that it goes around Muck Putty, that they're putting together a D and D game and they get in touch. It would definitely be jump interesting in the train. To, to yeah, even just stand in the background and. And see what's see what, going see what on. Yeah, I've yeah, done that before. Just showing yeah. up to watch people's game. Yeah. Watch <laughs> that's when, when we had the um, the writing uh, team mm. or whatever it was. The remember we did um, like writing club. Yeah, I know. I didn't write anything. I just loved being there because the stories <laughs> were great and really funny. Yes. Yeah. Simon, I want you to come up with your first D and D character's name off oh, the top of your head. Uh, right now. Go. Uh, <laughs> Billy Barnes. 
Billy Barnes. Billy Barnes. Barnes. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's Billy Barnes, <laughs> and it has to be said that length every That's time because right. yeah. there's like 12, zero, 12 O's and then a couple of A's. And uh, there's a there's a little like there's a little line over the top letting you know this <laughs> is how the inflection goes. goes. <laughs> Billy Barnes. Well, I can't wait for the further adventures That's of Billy right. Barnes. <laughs> uh, Robert, thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, let us know where we can find. Um, all of the stuff that you do. Well, uh, the most of the stuff that I do under my own Steam is under Robert Hartley GM, uh, under your platform of choice. Uh, I am I stream a few times a week on Twitch. I've got videos going up on YouTube every week. Uh, I am on Instagram sporadically. Uh, sometimes I tweet on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll have a podcast soon, Robert Hartley GM. Uh, what else? Basically, put Robert Hartley GM, that's H-A-R-T-L-E-Y, into your social media of choice. Um, and then you can also find me dungeon mastering for the comedy group Viva La Dirt League. That's what I'm most well known for over at Viva La Dirt League D&D on YouTube. Fantastic. And uh, you also have a Patreon if people want to I support do. you financially. Robert Hartley GM on Patreon. It gets all sorts of things. You get the first access to my videos. I, once a month I have a charisma check that I call a, uh, my, my just chatting streams. Uh, charisma check. Um, and uh, it's just for Patreons where I just hang out and chat. Uh, I do... Uh, there's a whole, whole bunch of perks. So everything that I... Um, uh, create for the game any any new weapons uh, items magic things spells feats curses my rules for how i run we- werewolves every literally everything that goes on my patreon you'll have access to that any new monsters i create um, i did have one yeah. question i was looking at your patreon just to see what your exclusive were uh and the the one that's above a dollar the next one up hmm. it says my consent in gaming form my consent in gaming form yes yeah. so that, that mean that is the thing that i was talking about earlier where it's the form in, uh, for which it is my entire checklist of spiders bugs gore eyeballs and you can tell me uh a to d you can say a is like yep i'm okay with you including anything to do with eyeballs in the game no problem at all b is i'm okay with eyeballs as long as it's not happening to my character c is i'd rather any any um hinting about eyeballs to be alluded to or veiled off screen and d is no inclusion of talking about eyeballs at all okay um and it's for everything romance between players how how are you feeling about that see that's what i I, it's obviously like a lionel hutz thing where i didn't see where the grammar was and i was like my consent my consent comma in gaming form i was like so this is the form to romance rob in game <laughs> my, Mike, i should, I I should put your... it in inverted commas my quotes <laughs> consent in gaming form Excellent. oh you got this thing all screwed up no romance now <laughs> uh well thanks rob it's been a really illuminating chat it's been fantastic thank you very, very much for having me on so much stuff that we didn't get to oh, uh, about D&D because it's a huge I, I can I, I could and do talk about D&D for hours every week over on my Twitch and we barely ever cover the same topics so come if in you want more of this well, I'll be definitely uh, checking in I've, yeah. I loved you like I said I loved your YouTube channel thank you very much I'll be doing more of the um, Accent Redemption time. soon because of how well they've been I, performing I, I like your reading the, like you were reading in uh, James Joyce book yeah right that's yeah. fantastic excellent so yeah. from uh, Fizzy Vimto, Yoshki Barish, uh, Billy Barnes, and Mike. Uh, that's all for this episode of the Muck Pod. Please join us next time where we'll be chatting with even more of the talented folks from our studio and beyond. And until then, keep mucking around. Muck.